Hello and welcome to another episode of Don't Fuck With The Original. I'm your host, Casper. And I am your other host, Becky Gremlin. Here to bring you all things spooky on Wednesdays because... Wednesdays are for podcasts. Oh my god, guys. Podcasts are my life. <laughs> podcasts are my life. Horror is my life. <laughs> Clowns are not my life. Clowns are my life. <laughs> Tapali is my life. Okay, guys, for real. So, clown theme continued. Yes. True crime. Mr. John Wayne Gacy, the killer clown himself. Mr. Pogo. Mr. Pogo. Pogo the clown. So, um, Becky will be taking over most of this because I am not in my right mind because of medicine. So, yes, the dreaded Indian summer colds that have been wreaking havoc all across this America. great land. Uh, yeah, unlike, but I, knock on wood on my big fat forehead, uh, have not gotten sick. I don't know how that's managed to happen, but... My allergies apparently are just worse than yours. Yeah. Um, you know what, though? I've also been, like, stuffing myself with allergy medicine for the last two weeks, so... That would be it right there. That's probably... My dreaded pink eye that I had last week. Like, I must have hit me last week, guys. Because, like, I had fucking pink. I woke up with pink eye out of nowhere, which was like, the fuck? <laughs> How you get pink eye in your mid-30s and you have no kids? What happened? You so, must have been on your job. <laughs> like, I don't know. It would have had to been. A kid could have had it at the store and touched something. And touched something. Because it's that contagious. Anything. It's so stupid. So I had to get antibiotic drops and... uh. They were like, yeah, you should probably take allergy medicine too. So I've been on allergy medicine for the last week and a half. So maybe that's why it hasn't been that bad. So anywho, um, (laughs) yeah, I'll be taking over mostly for Mr. John Wayne Gacy tonight. I'm going to be here. I'm just out of it. (laughs) Yeah, she will be here. She will be chiming in. I am. I am Um, here. I'm not in a different location. (laughs) We're in the same room together. (laughs) Uh, most of our info is going to be, as always, from wonderful Wikipedia. Um, I also watched a really cool segment on uh, serial killer culture, which is a show that John Borowski did. It's currently on Amazon Prime that did a small segment about John Wayne Gacy, which was pretty cool. So um, we'll touch a little bit on that, too. But yeah, um, I think we were just talking before we were talking before about how our like trifecta of serial killers are Bundy, Dahmer, and Gacy. We've already done bon- Bundy and Dahmer. Bundy. Bundy and Dahmer. Bundy and Dahmer. And and <laughs> uh, so Gacy would be the next choice. And I think it's because, you know, these guys aren't really similar, but I guess the only way I would compare them is fucked up childhoods and crazy types of murders and then of course after the arrests and kind of the infamy that they gained afterwards was pretty crazy plus i think this was kind of like in the early makings of what we saw as serial killers you know you kind of had manson and then uh, son of sam and then these guys sort of came a little bit and then bundy was after that and then Do- or then gacy and then Dahmer later well it's like technically technically um, Manson is not a serial killer. That's right. I technically, technically, but Charles Manson never killed anybody. But he's still in the in the group, kind of like Ed Gain. 
he's not technically a serial killer either. But he only killed two people. He only killed two people. So that's that's actually not a serial killer. But, but it's the psychology of right who they are, what made exactly. up their mind. You they know, had the absolute makings of a serial oh, killer. Oh, yeah. Manson's childhood, master manipulator, Ed Gaines. Guys, and we will definitely be doing an Ooh, episode yes. on, on Mr. Ed Norman Gaines. Bates himself. That guy's story gets deep. Uh, yeah. He Was will that definitely a pun? Be- Really gets under your skin. <laughs> you know what? No, actually, it wasn't. But that's incredible. Ed Gain really gets under your skin. That was amazing. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, Even so in my crazy cloudedness, I'm still witty. <laughs> we'll deep dive into Mr. Gacy here. John Wayne Gacy was born in Chicago, Illinois, on March seventeenth, nineteen forty-two, to John Stanley Gacy and his wife uh, Marion. Uh, He was the only son of three children. So John Wayne Gacy had two sisters. Uh, Those four sisters. Gacy, yeah. One of them actually, and we'll mention her a little bit later. She's been in several. She was on Oprah. I think Dr. Phil. She's been in several documentaries uh, talking about her brother. Because she did visit Gacy in in prison before he was uh, executed. Um, Gacy is of Polish and Danish ancestry. And uh, his grandparents immigrated to the U.S. from Poland. As a child, he was very overweight, not athletic at all, and was believed to suffer from a heart defect. Uh, But his father just felt like he was making all of this up. Um, His dad was not a good person. Uh, From documentaries Uh, and things I've read, uh, his father was an alcoholic and was extremely physically abusive to his wife and his children. And really, out of all of the three kids, he targeted John the most. Um, I mean, he would just relentlessly beat him in every way, shape, or form. With belts, with broomsticks, punch him in the face. Um, He has actually left John unconscious many times. He would beat him so bad. Uh, Constantly tell him that he was dumb and stupid and that he was never, ever, ever going to be good enough. Obviously, that um, that's going to make for a great man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. going to make for a great man. When that's the example that you have of a man, you know, you have two sisters, a mother, and your only example of a man is this horrible person that beats you and your mother constantly and tells you you're a worthless piece of shit. Yeah, um, it's definitely a great example. You know, it's actually been believed that he may have suffered head trauma that possibly led to some defects in you know him being able to discern right from wrong or what have you some type of traumatic brain injuries from all the times because there there were times that yes his father actually left you know there were even um childhood friends witnessed Mm -hmm. his dad beating him in front of the school in front of their home and actually beating him to the point of unconsciousness and refused to take him to the hospital. Uh, after he was executed, his brain was exhumed. Apparently there wasn't anything wrong with his brain at the time of his execution, but of course there was no scans or anything run on them at the time that he was a kid. So who was to say that there wasn't anything then that didn't manifest later? So What's just I mean, like it's just a thought. It's in, not making excuses, but um, this thing I watched on Netflix where they scanned like someone like us brain. And he scanned a serial killer's brain, and the frontal lobe mm-hmm. 
was fucked up, basically, which is where your compassion and your empathy comes from. And uh, most serial killer brains don't form that part of their brain fully. So if he was beat, not if, because he was beat like that as a kid, it's very possible if his brain was fine, it could have gotten fucked up because of that. Yeah, very much so. And again, like we're saying, that's not an excuse for that. No, it's but not. It's, it's again an explanation as to what it's a could scientific have led to him doing it. On top of being severely abused as a child as well. So, Jesus. Um, there was, uh, oh, let me see. So there was an incident specifically where Gacy had um, stolen a toy uh, from the store. Um, actually, I've heard this two different ways. I've heard he stole a toy from the store. His mom told his father and his father beat him. Um, I also heard a different version of this where Gacy had picked flowers for his mother, but he picked the flowers off of a grave. And when the cops saw him, they brought him home. And when his father saw the cops bring him home, his father beat him. Both stories possibly could have happened. I mean, apparently his dad beat him for whatever reason. <laughs> his dad find. beat him. It just didn't matter. <laughs> um, his dad would also call him a sissy, a mama's boy, a queer... Uh, which actually leads into an incident that happened in 1949 when Gacy would have been at this time seven. And uh, him and another boy were caught sexually fondling a young girl. His dad took a razor strop and viciously whipped him with it. Um, a razor strop, if you guys don't know, back in the day, men would shave with straight razor. And a razor strop was like a long, thin leather piece, almost like a belt that they would use to sharpen the blade. And that's what he beat him with. I've seen that on that movies. Would, that would like... crack your... If you guys have ever seen The Color Purple, mm. where she's about to slit... Well, you thought she was going to slit Mr.'s neck. Spoiler alert. Anyway, so when she's... Yeah, when she's the color sharpening purple. it... Stop right yeah, now let's stop. Let's, it. It's one of Stephen King... Or not Stephen King. Stephen Spielberg masterpiece. We've like, been on horror. Stephen King. Not, <laughs> I got Stephen King on the brain. It's a Stephen Spielberg masterpiece. It's a great movie. But yeah, so basically, I mean, that... That would feel like a whip. It would crack skin if somebody was going to beat you with that. Um, and his dad actually said, even though he beat him for doing for molesting the girl, his dad actually later said, well, at least we know he's not queer. <laughs> Little did he know. Okay. Um, That's cute. In the meantime... You know what's also funny? I have found, just pointing this out, yeah. most people that are homophobic or homos... Or, yeah. Mm, imagine how that works. Fun fact. I've been homo all my life. <laughs> Just this latent homosexuality. Usually it's a, it's a self-hatred. Well, it's like all these, all those Republican senators and congressmen that come out totally against, you know, banning the bathrooms and against gay marriage and all this other stuff. And then all of a sudden they come out gay. Or like, gay, oh. or, or, or they, or they you know, hit or tried to, like, hit on a male, uh, oh, God, what would you call it? Uh, somebody's intern, like a male intern, or got caught having sex with a male intern or something like that, and I'm like, oh. Scandalous. Oh, <laughs> really? Okay. Uh, but in, now, in the meantime of him having this incident with this young girl, Gacy himself was actually being molested. It was a family friend who was a contractor that knew his dad that would take him on rides and he would fondle him. He never told his dad about this. 
Uh, I wonder what his dad would have done. Probably beat probably him. Probably beat him. He yeah, blame him Which for actually, it. I think he even thought, said that. Or is that is the reason why he didn't tell his dad? Yeah, his dad was called him queer and would have beat him for it. I'd be like, yeah, because that's my fucking fault. So, again, uh, right. I know. His dad, was, his dad was a total piece of shit. So, again, I mentioned him having the heart condition. Uh, that led Gacy to avoid sports. He didn't have a lot of friends. He was bullied relentlessly. Um... He basically spent most of his time in school volunteering and running errands for teachers. Uh, he started experiencing blackouts around the fourth grade, fourth grade and was hospitalized for seizures in the 50s. Um, even had an incident where in his uh, early teens, his appendix burst. So, that sucks. Um, yeah, and that actually can be really dangerous at that age. Uh, you can, it can actually, so when your appendix ruptures... It actually, the fluid it releases can be poisonous, and it could kill you. It can kill you at any time. So, yeah, but I mean, like, your body definitely sure, cannot, yeah, young. if you're, like, 12, 13 years old, I mean, that's, like, instantaneous if you don't get to a hospital immediately. Uh, but, yeah, it could kill you at any time, but definitely that young, yeah. Um, he estimated that between the ages of 14 to 18, he spent almost um, every year in the hospital. So that led to declining grades and missing school. Uh, his father, like I mentioned, suspected that he was faking it, called him a mama's boy, said he just wanted to be with his mom and his sisters, and that's why. Uh, his mom never doubted his condition, but it was never conclusively diagnosed exactly what Gacy had, even all the times that he spent in the hospital. It was said that he had a quote-unquote heart condition, uh, and yeah, he had seizures, but there was never anything conclusively diagnosed as to what he really had. And who's to say the seizures and the blackouts, again, weren't due to his father beating him? And I'm sure he didn't tell the hospital that his dad was beating him, because then that would have led to the cops getting involved and... His dad would have beat him? Yeah, probably would have beat him to death, to be honest. Probably, yeah. I mean, probably he was genuinely terrified of his dad. I would be too, after all that shit. So in uh, 1957, there was an... Uh, altercation where a friend witnessed an incident where Gacy's dad just started screaming for no reason, like just screaming at the air and started beating him. Um, this was actually a friend of Gacy's by the name. Let me pull his name up here real quick. His name was Barry Bocelli. Uh, he is actually in the process of trying to make a documentary film with a guy by the name of Dan Kiggins. Um, discussing his childhood friendship with Gacy. So he basically knew Gacy from like early childhood up through high school. Um, they were really close friends, close neighbors. And Barry himself actually grew up with a very abusive father who was also an alcoholic. So he sort of felt this kinship with John. Like they would share a lot of the same secrets and, and, uh, do a lot of the same things together and spend a lot of time together. And uh, he did witness specifically on this occasion, but several occasions where uh, Gacy's father would just start screaming for no reason and take his anger out on his son. Um, Cause that's what you did. Anytime that his mother would try to intervene, she would get hit as well. Um, in 1960, when Gacy was 18, he entered politics and, uh, became the precinct captain for the Democratic Party candidate in his neighborhood. Uh, this apparently just got more criticism from his dad. His dad called him a patsy. 
which is kind of basically someone that works like a spy for the government, which obviously wasn't true, but like Patsy Cline. Uh, crazy. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not going there, guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, when I hear Patsy, yeah. I was like, Patsy Cline. That's so funny. Yeah, but um, no, that's my brain. <laughs> obviously, he was not uh, a spy for the government. Um, sure he probably he really wasn't a very good one if he was. Yeah, he fucking sucked. Uh, <laughs> it's like, yeah, didn't do very. You good had stuff. one job. <laughs> <laughs> you had one job. You had one job and you fucked it up. So the same year that he started working for the Democratic Party, his dad bought him a car. Uh, well, not, which cracks me up. He fucking beats the shit out of his son. And he's like, oh, let me just buy you a car. Which came with its own problems, too, because anytime his dad could hold the car over him, he would. True. Uh, his dad bought him the car, but the title was still in his dad's name. And Gacy had to pay the monthly payments. Um, it took him years to pay his dad. And any time that his dad wanted to confiscate the keys, he would. Uh, there was an incident in 1962 where Gacy bought an extra set of keys. And in response to this, his dad removed the distributor cap for three days. Uh, he said the whole entire incident left him completely drained, totally sick. Uh, once his dad finally put the distributor cap back on... He left and moved to Vegas. Uh, he found work as an ambulance service driver before transferring to an attendant at the mortuary. He worked uh, three months before returning to Chicago, and in his role as a mortuary attendant, he slept on a cot behind the embalming room. Y'all, no. I ain't about that. I ain't gonna sleep. <laughs> I'm not gonna sleep on a cot behind yeah, the embalming room. That's not gonna happen. No, no. No, I we thought about, about working at a mortuary, but I would not stay there overnight. That's an autopsy no of way. Jane Doe shit right there. No way. Y'all seen Absolutely autopsy of not. Jane Doe? You need to watch it. If not, just an <laughs> FYI, that's one of Stephen King's favorite movies. Fun fact. And it's with good reason. It's fucking I, terrifying. Mm, no, never. Never in a million years. Just for that reason alone, I wouldn't fucking do it. No. Uh, he did confess later that there was one evening where he climbed into the coffin of a deceased teenage uh, boy and started embracing and caressing his body before he was in total shock. Uh, he called his mom, asked if he could return home. Uh, they agreed, and he drove back to the family home in Chicago. Uh, but, I mean, obviously, at this point, there were already tendencies that he had there. He, I don't think he... I think he had the rationale in that moment to not act on them, but obviously the tendencies were already there. Uh, even though he actually failed to graduate from high school, he ended up enrolling in Northwestern Business College and graduated in 1963. Uh, in 1964... He was working for a shoe company that transferred him to Springfield, where he became a salesman, and he became engaged and later married uh, Marilyn Myers. She was a co-worker at the time. Her was father she related to Michael? owned... <laughs> I'm sorry. Her dad, is... Michael Myers, owned uh, some KFCs. <laughs> no, that was not her dad. <laughs> that's fucking Welcome great. Welcome to KFC. Wait, that's, that's Jason. Jason. Fuck. Whoa. I'm sorry. You walk into a KFC and it's like. Da, na, 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 I na, failed. Na. I'm so sorry. I failed. It's been a long day. Well, I mean, <laughs> in your defense, his first victim's last name was Voorhees. So. Thank you. 
Thank you. Appreciate that. We're just pulling everybody in this. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So I like. I always like to mention this thing about KFC because finger looking good. His last meal before he was executed was KFC. So I thought that was interesting because he actually went on to manage. He got his own KFC that he managed from uh, his father-in-law owning and running some a bunch of KFCs. Um, Gacy ended up. I know. Why the fuck would you want KFC for your last meal? I just. I don't know. No offense to KFC, but that's not my choice. I'd be having some Texas fucking Roadhouse rolls. I'm like I want rolling some in here with some cinnamon butter and like steak flicking and all of it, and like seafood, <laughs> like and everything I'm not supposed to eat. All I'm the gonna, ice cream. <laughs> I want to like a fucking smorgasbord and be like, how much can I actually do? Because I will throw up and keep going. Yeah, let's rally. Is there a? <laughs> is there a? Is there a limit to this? Is there a just dollar limit? Can I like order hundreds of dollars of food and just rally? <laughs> and as soon as I die, the shit everywhere. Because <laughs> I hate all that scream. <laughs> I'm like, well, now you gotta wait to kill me before I shit all this out. They say you void your bowels. You do. So, you know, like. That's why I love these crime fan. shows where like the bodies just are just fan. laying there and there's nothing, and I'm like, bitch. There'd be a pool of shit. There would be like so and many piss. Bo- bodily fluids, like just a puddle. But no one ever talks. Somebody's about out that. there eating right now, listening to this, like bodily fluids. Like, sorry, it's just piss and it's shit. Just, yeah, we're not know, talking about some bile and semen and cum and, and, <laughs> and shit. Speaking of which, did you hear about Everybody's these kids who so got arrested? mad at me right now. These kids got arrested because Everybody they had bodily us. fluids on a burger that they gave their teacher. Ew. They said bodily fluids, so you know what that means. Ew. Don't you love it when the news says bodily fluids? I'm you like, always know what that. You always know what that means because they can't say My it. mom was like gagging while listening to the You're story. Like, <laughs> My dad's like, well, I can only think of one thing with bodily fluids. And I was like, yes, dad, semen. <laughs> I was like, that's what it means. Thanks, Dad. But <laughs> oh anyway, I'm sorry. Love Everybody you. hates us so much right now. <laughs> They're just like, <laughs> oh my god, I'm having lunch. <laughs> How the fuck did we get there? Oh yeah, we were talking about KFC. <laughs> <laughs> Last um, meal before death. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. I'm the comedic relief today. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Oh my god. So, uh, during the time that Gacy was working at the KFC and, uh, with Marilyn, uh, he was a local, he had joined the local JCs, which, god. So he joined the JCs, um, I actually had to look this up myself. So the JCs are the United States Junior Chamber, and this is a civic organization that's a branch of the Junior Champ. Chamber International, I cannot get that word. Uh, They emphasize on business development, management skills, trainings, community service, different things like that. So uh, this actually was something that uh, Gacy was a part of for many, many, many years, even during the time that he was working with the Democratic Party. And um, I totally lost my place. And I'm also laughing because they're... I'm so sorry, guys. We're doing our podcast at my place, and the cat, BB, is outside of the door meowing and scratching right now, and if you you might have been able to hear her, she was like, meow. (laughs) 
If we let her in the room right now, guys, it will be a total distraction. And It'll I will be a disaster. And I will not be able to read about serial killers. Because mm-hmm. I will just be We'll like, just be all over BB. You'll be hearing BB in between like, Beeps. he performed oral sex. BB. <laughs> he was in necrophilia. Oh my God. <laughs> So during this time that he was a JC, bleeding right into the oral sex thing, he has a second <laughs> homosexual experience with a colleague. There was a bunch of the men that got together. They ended up having a bunch of drinks, uh, having an overnight. They all got really drunk, and he woke up to a colleague performing oral sex on him. Um, the whole thing still kind of freaked him out. I still think at this point he was very confused about his sexuality. I don't think he understood what was going on. But I think that that's, that is something that's usually a pretty normal thing that happens to people that have gone through any type of sexual molestation, especially in this instance, as a man being molested by another man, you, as a child, you don't really understand. You, you do. I, I do believe that you would start to have confusion about your sexuality. I mean, like completely take out the murders, just the fact of dealing with the, like, am I bisexual? Am I gay? You know, I could see him not really understanding at that point. Um, he does come out later, though, and tell his second wife that he is bisexual. So I think it would he... be confusing, though, because if you are molested by someone of the same sex in your mind as a kid, you're like, this is wrong. Right. But as you get older and then like he wakes up to his colleague doing that and he's thinking, I like this. I'd be like, but wait. Right. It, it would. It would fuck me right. up, too. I, I can't imagine. Like, like what... I'm not. Yeah, you know, I'm not. I'm not really resisting this. Should I? Again, should I like this? Right. Because this was wrong. Like my exactly. uncle did this to me, and it, I didn't like it. But now I do. Right. The f- right. <laughs> now I don't understand what's happening. Uh, so at, in 1966, uh, not long after that incident, like I mentioned, he starts managing one of the KFC restaurants. Actually, starts managing three of them at this time, earning a pretty pretty lucrative sal- uh, salary for him and his wife. Um. He ends up moving to Iowa to manage these KFCs and then joins the local chapter of the JCs there. Um, His wife gave birth to two children. He had a son named Michael that was born in 1966 and a daughter named Christine that was born in 1967. And he later described this incident as being uh, completely perfect. There was an, his father came to visit later that year in 66, uh, father and mother both of his parents his father later apologized to him for the abuse and said son i was wrong about you um then again i'm thinking i'm sitting here and i'm thinking did he apologize because he was wrong he thought he was wrong about him or no i don't think that's why i think he i think he saw that in his mind john was a member of the JCs, managing these stores, had his own home, had two kids, had a wife. And I think in his dad's eyes, oh, okay, so you lived up to what I wanted you to be. Good job. Sorry that I thought you were fucking queer and beat the shit out of you. Like, honestly, I, th- I honest to God, I really think that's what his dad thought. I think I still to this day think his dad was a total piece of shit. And I don't think that was a real apology at all. I think his it's dad not, saw. Because I think his like dad saying, saw the life that he wanted him to be, and he's like, "Oh, great! He didn't grow. He didn't grow up fucking queer." So, and then he's thinking, sorry, "Actually, <laughs> well, that leads into what was going on behind the scenes with the JCs. There was a lot of stuff that was kind of unseemly, as they called it. There was wife swapping, prostitution, pornography, um, 
all kinds of drug use. Uh, they had this kind of like open club in the basement where everybody would come and get drunk. Um, Gacy actually employed teenagers of both sexes, but he socialized more with the younger male employees where he could buy them alcohol and make sexual advances towards them, but just later claimed that they were jokes. Well, in 1967, he actually did commit his first sexual assault on a 15-year-old boy named Donald Voorhees, as we mentioned. Voorhees. He was the son of one of the fellow JCs um, that during one of these incidences where he had bought him alcohol, lured him into watching porn. They, uh, The youth performed oral sex on him, and then over several months, uh, several other youths were abused in the same manner, including one whom Gacy encouraged to have sex with his own wife before blackmailing him into performing oral sex on him. Um, he would do this with a lot of different teenagers, believing that he was like home, doing homosexual experiments on them for scientific research, and then he would pay him $50 a piece. Wait a minute. Uh, so you're telling me. I think in the 60s, anybody would have fucking believed anything even though that sounds so fucking so you're stupid telling me i could just go out at some bar and be like hey girl i'm doing some research for the gays can it's i experiment official. on you it's official i have a badge bust out like some like fake bag that's the badge that says like homo experience experience it just homo says like experiment it just says like badge on it like badge <laughs> you're like my badge badge <laughs> see it's legit it says badge it I says can put, badge. Can I put my badge on your badge? I'm just <laughs> Hashtag badge on your badge. I love Hashtag it. going to prison. <laughs> for for life. Um, for uh, 25 to life. No, <laughs> harassment. There we go. I was like, I kept wanting to say hallucination and I knew that wasn't right. <laughs> Hashtag badge on your badge. That's hilarious. Badge, badge. So in 1968, Voorhees (laughs) reported to his dad that Gacy had been sexually assaulting him. Uh, His dad immediately went to the police. Gacy was arrested. Um, In relation to Voorhees and the attempted assault of a 16-year-old named Edward Lynch, he denied, demanded a polygraph, although the results indicated that Gacy was nervous when he denied any wrongdoing. Wrongdoing. Wrong during. <laughs> I can't talk. Um, Jesus I Christ. can, but some fucking words. I'm like, that word is not hard. Guys, what happens is, is that we spend a lot of time together, and she just gets it from me. Because <laughs> you all know I can't speak worth shit. I mean, good the Jesus. around you, day. like, I look at the word, and it's like, why did that just come out I of my face? I want to say getty pig, and penny gig comes out. <laughs> I mean, it's just, that's an actual disorder, and I think I have it, but. I forget the name of it, but anyway. <laughs> so he denied any wrongdoing in relation to Voorhees or Lynch. He publicly denied anything, insisted the charges against him were politically motivated, that Voorhees had opposed his nomination as president of the Iowa JCs. Uh, actually, several fellow JCs supported Gacy, rallied around him, uh, even though on May 10th of 68, he was indicted for sodomy. Um, on August 30th, 68, he was persa- persuaded by one of his employees to physically assault Voorhees in an effort to discourage him from testifying. Uh, this 18-year-old's name was Russell Schroeder. He agreed to lure Vo- Voorhees into a secluded spot, spray him with mace, and beat him. 
and Gacy promised to pay him $300. Uh, Schroeder lured uh, him into the park, sprayed him, beat him up, all while shouting that he was not to testify against Gacy at the trial. I love that this, I love this plan. Like he wouldn't go tell somebody that he just got the shit beat out of him. And why would you be screaming at the time? <laughs> now don't testify against Gacy. Like, I'd be like, I'm sorry, I can't hear you because you're beating the shit out of me. <laughs> so uh, Voorhees did escape, immediately went to the police office, obviously, identified uh, Russell Schroeder as the attacker. Schroeder was uh, immediately arrested the next day. He denied involvement. He soon confessed and indicated that Gacy was the one that told him to do it and paid him to do it. And then Gacy was arrested for the additional charge in relation to hiring Schroeder to intimidate and assault Voorhees. Uh, September of that year, he underwent a psychiatric evaluation um, at the hospital at the State University of Iowa. Two doctors examined him and concluded that he had antisocial <clears throat> personality disorder and was unlikely to benefit from any therapy or treatment, and that his behavior pattern was likely to bring him to repeated conflict with society. Doctors concluded that he was mentally competent to stand trial. Uh, upon advice from his attorney, he entered a plea of one count of sodomy, pled not guilty to the other charges, and before the judge contended that he and Voorhees had a sexual relationship, uh, yet insisted Voorhees had offered sexual services to him and that he acted out of curiosity. They didn't believe the story. And despite lawyers' recommendation for probation, Gacy was convicted on December 3rd of 1968 and sentenced to 10 years at Anamosa State Penitentiary. Uh, on that day, he was convicted. His wife petitioned for divorce, requested sole possession of their home property, the two children, and alimony payments. Court ruled in her favor on September 18th, 1969, and Gacy never saw his wife and children ever again. Um, I mean, I don't blame her. Damn, I'd be like, bitch, you committing sodomy? Okay. Why didn't you just talk to me about your urges? We could have well, we could have figured something out. And I mean, he later denied it, but then said on stand that they had a sexual relationship, but that he did it out of curiosity. It's like this wasn't this was a seventeen year old. You were a grown man by then. Like that's not okay. Let's stop that bullshit. That's like, first of all, that's a minor, and I you don't, don't believe do that, that for a second. I don't believe that for a fucking. If he's second. the one that went to the cops. <laughs> right who went to the cops did you go to the cops or did he go to the cops right if it was consensual neither of you would have went to the cops exactly exactly clearly mr Voorhees wasn't having your bullshit right <laughs> so during the incarceration gacy was of course a model prisoner uh he became head cook he joined an inmate jc chapter uh increased their membership from 50 to 650 in the span of 18 months um, he secured an increase in the inmates' daily pay in the prison mess hall. He even oversaw the installation of a mini golf course in the prison's rec yard. In 69, he applied to the state Iowa Board of Parole for early release. He was denied. In preparation for his second scheduled parole he hearing in 1970, he completed 16 high school courses and obtained his diploma in November of 1969. On Christmas Day of 69, Gacy's father died. Uh, cirrhosis of the liver. Not a big surprise when he was an alcoholic. Uh, oh, Gacy no. was unable to attend his father's funeral. And um, when he found out that his father had died, he collapsed to the floor and sobbed uncontrollably. Um, 
like I said, you know, it, it's crazy that even after everything that his father did to him, he wanted nothing but his father's approval. And Reminds even after, me of a character in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and even after all of that, when he found out his father died, he sobbed uncontrollably. Like, Didn't Beverly even say something like, I love you, Dad? Mm-hmm. Like, even when, and all the shit he did to her, she still loved him. I know. I'm like, God, It's like they're some... still your parent in Ugh. their head. Like, even <laughs> after everything they did to you, they're still, I don't know. I don't, I don't understand that. Uh, Gacy actually did, grant, uh, was granted parole um, with 12 months probation on June 18th, 1970, after serving 18 months of his 10-year sentence. Two of his conditions that he would have to relocate to Chicago and live with his mother and to observe a 10 p.m. curfew that the Iowa Board of Parole would be receiving regular updates of his progress. Upon release, uh, he told a friend and fellow JC, Clarence Lane, who picked him up from prison, that he would never go back to jail and intended to reestablish himself in Waterloo. However, within 24 hours of relocating to, he did relocate to Chicago with his mother. He arrived on June 19th and became a short order cook. So the very next year, in 1971, he was charged with sexually assaulting a teenage boy. He literally gets out of prison. And is like, I mean, literally, not even a year later, lures a boy at a Greyhound bus station into forcing him to have sex. The complaint was dismissed because the boy ap- refused to appear in court. Uh, the Iowa Parole Board actually didn't learn of this incident until eight months after his parole had already ended. The following month, uh, his previous criminal convictions in Iowa were sealed. That's fucking wonderful. Um, I love how when you read stuff like this, I mean, this I swear this makes me think about, uh, oh, the guy from um, Mindhunter. The glasses, tall guy. Ed Kemper? Ed Kemper <laughs> killed his grandparents when he was 16. I mean, brutally murdered his grandparents when he was 16. The records were sealed and then goes on to commit these horrific murders of these women, was friends with cops. Nobody knew anything about his past record. Nobody would be able to look into it. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like it's the same like, thing oh, with this. He, it's like, he just... He just killed. He'll, he'll be fine. Yeah. No. He even said he just wanted to know what it was like to kill them. That was his response at 16 when he killed his grandparents. I just wanted to know what it was like to kill somebody. I was like, Great. You need to lock somebody up that says some shit like that. Right. I mean, I want to know what it's like, but I ain't going to do it. It's like, seriously? <laughs> Guys, I don't I know mean, if like, you saw this. I don't uh, know if you <laughs> saw this when I posted this on Twitter. Um, somebody at my work... I mean, we're friends, but somebody at my work actually complimented me. I found it as a compliment. She said, you're a really interesting person to talk to because you have serial killer tendencies, but you won't. You have the moral compass not to do it. And I was like, that's right. (laughs) Same. I was like, I'm oddly flattered by that because I do have the moral compass not to do it, but I do have serial killer tendencies. So congratulations. (laughs) Same. I was like, look out when I go off the handle one day. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> no, hell no. I ain't going to prison. Fuck that bullshit. Uh-uh. Prison, prison ain't no orange is the new black Hell sentence. no, it's not. You ain't gonna meet I'm no what? Alex Boz in prison. Look, and- I'm too cute. I'd have to kill a bitch first day to establish that I'm crazy 
and don't fuck with me. Like literally, that just don't like, fuck would, that just with like me. it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. I'd have to like make a shank out of a tampon. I don't even know how there, that's possible. I'd walk in there screaming lesbian and all these bitches be on me and I'd be like, okay, one at a time. No. <laughs> <laughs> I would we'll be, have a ticket system. I no. would be the Shane of the prison. Like, let's, <laughs> let's get real. I would be Shane. I would be the Shane of <laughs> prison. <laughs> but we hate Shane. Exactly. I don't um, hate Shane. I just... I no, I, I know. We know. I love Shane. Wait, which... What Shane are you talking about? I'm talking about about L word Shane. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I was just making sure. Because I hate, I hate love Shane. I don't technically hate Shane. She's a bitch, but she's hot, so. She is. She gets forgiven. She's a bitch. She's a bitch. Anyway, (laughs) sorry. Lesbian tangents over here. Um, (laughs) Lesbian prison tangents. (laughs) So Gacy, with financial assistance from his mother, buys the infamous home in Cook County, Illinois. 8213 West Summerdale Avenue, where he resided until 1978, where all of his known murders were committed. Not uh, all of them. Well, most of them. Most of them. Most 90, of them. 95%. Because I was going to say, what, 29 of the bodies were buried in the house? There were four of them that were found later? 28 were found. Four was found in the river. One was never found. That's right. Okay. <clears throat> So in 71, shortly after moving in, he became engaged to Carol Hoff, a divorcee with two daughters. He had previously dated Hoff in high school when she was a friend of his younger sister. Um, His mother moved out of the home shortly before their wedding in 1972. One week before their wedding, he was arrested and charged with aggravated battery and reckless conduct. It was a youth by the name of Jackie D., who informed police that Gacy impersonated a police officer, this was something that he was notorious for doing, uh, had a fake badge, lured him into a car, and forced him to perform oral sex. The charges were dropped after the complainant attempted to blackmail Gacy into paying him money. Following his marriage uh, to his new wife, they moved into the home with Gacy with the stepdaughters, Gacy quit his job as a cook and started a construction business known as PDM Contractors. They, uh, the initials stand for Painting, Decorating, and Maintenance. The business um, undertook minor repair work, did concrete, redecorating, interior design, remodeling, landscaping, different things like that. Um, in 1973, Gacy and a teenage employee traveled to Florida to purchase some property. The first night, Gacy raped the youth in the hotel room. The youth refused to stay in the same hotel and slept on the beach. Upon returning, the employee drove to Gacy's house. And so after they returned, uh, the boy drove to Gacy's house and started beating the crap out of him. Um, His wife came out, pulled uh, the kid off of him, and Gacy told his wife that... uh, the youth had beat him up because Gacy refused to pay him money. Um, His neighbors considered Gacy very helpful and gregarious. He would have summer parties, um, cookouts in the backyard. And then around this time in 1975 is when he started dressing as Pogo the Clown, the infamous clown pictures that I'm sure plenty of you guys have seen. He actually even did a painting of himself as Pogo in prison that sold, um, 
to a private collector. Uh, there were several of his paintings that were, that were actually sold in prison. One big patch of them was sold to a group that burned them in a bonfire. And then a few of his paintings were sold to uh, private collectors. Um, during that time in 1975 is when he worked uh, alongside with the Norwood Park Township, um, became the precinct captain, and actually met... First Lady Rosalind Carter at the time on May 6, 1978. There is an infamous picture out there. You guys can Google it and find it anywhere of him shaking hands with the First Lady. Little did she know that she was shaking the hands of a serial killer. Well, they do say <laughs> you walk by six serial killers in your life. I just think, I just still think that's so funny that he just, to everybody, was this prominent, you know, prominent, prominent citizen. Nobody knew of this lurid past. He was just able to hide all this and play Pogo the Clown and have cookouts in his backyard and act like he was this happy family man. And it's just crazy to me. No, he wasn't. <laughs> so later that year in 1975, Gacy, like I mentioned, opened up to his wife and said that he, that she was, or that he was bisexual, told her that he was bisexual. They had sex on Mother's Day of that year. He said that that was the last time that they would ever have sex again and they didn't um he never came home he had all kinds of excuses for working late hours and uh his wife later observed him bringing teenage boys into the garage and found gay porn in the home and they mutually decided to divorce in march of 1976 and uh not long after is when the murder started now there was an essential murder prior to that in 1972 but most of the murders really started to take place later on after that. I think there were two, maybe three, that were committed before his wife initially divorced. But most of the murders started to gain traction right around the late 70s. So in 72... You're good. Sorry about that, guys. We're technical difficulties. You were in 72. Oh, yes. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Going back realize, to 72. I didn't realize they had weeds free thurning. Um, sorry, that was my fault. I was like, be ready now. And you're no, like, you're fine. Ha, 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 <laughs> where? Uh, so Timothy Jack McCoy was his first uh, murder victim. He had picked him up from a Greyhound bus terminal, uh, told him that he could spend the night back at his home. Uh, he, according to Gacy, woke up the following morning to... McCoy is standing there with the kitchen knife. Uh, he leapt out of bed. McCoy raised up both arms, tilting the knife toward him, accidentally cut Gacy's arm. And then Gacy twisted the knife back around, banged his head against the wall, kicked him in the stomach, uh, grabbed him, wrestled him to the floor. And uh, I think he ended up, oh, he stabbed him, he stabbed him with the kitchen knife. Uh, so, and he, the way he plays it out is like the whole thing was self-defense. Like he woke up and he was standing over with him a knife and there was a struggle that ensued and he stabbed him and then he buried his body in the crawl space. I, if it was a fucking accident, anyway, it wasn't an accident, obviously not. You wouldn't go, oh my God, I didn't mean to kill you. Let me bury you in the crawl space. Like, um, he said, he actually said in after his arrest, when he confessed to the murder, that he felt completely drained as if he had had an orgasm. It was the ultimate thrill to him. Uh, the second known victim happened in 1974. This was actually the one that was unidentified. Uh, it was a boy between the ages of 14 to 18 that Gacy strangled. Um, 
and left his body in his closet before he buried him. Uh, he said that he stuffed clothing rags into the victim's mouths because this particular victim, uh, after he had died, all of in fact, the bodily fluid. Prepare yourself uh, for this next statement. Back to bodily fluid. Uh, fluid started draining out of his mouth and his nose. Uh, in the time that Gacy had him in the closet. So after that, anytime he ever had to store one of the victim, he would shove things in their mouth to keep fluids from coming out. Speaking of which, listen, y'all, if you're leaving a body in your closet long enough to decompose where fluid is coming out of their mouth. You should probably wrap them up. I'd say, can we talk about smell? Does that not bother you? Well, later... Remember, I do remember that, but he I'm has saying like he almost thirty bodies in his fucking crawl space that he's blaming on the dog shitting in the kitchen. Dog shit and decomposing body is kind of a different smell, y'all. <laughs> I don't know what a decomposing body smells like, but I'm pretty sure that's distinct. Pretty sure thirty of them don't smell like dog shit. Thirty of them wouldn't smell like dog shit. I'm just saying, like, I like that just smell I don't like... even know what one dead body smells like, let alone thirty. But I'm pretty, pretty like ninety nine percent sure it doesn't smell like dog. Every everybody that I've have ever come in contact with that has smelled that smell says it's extremely distinct. Yes, and my you dad never was forget in, it. My dad was in Vietnam. Uh, yeah. So it's I'm pretty a, it's sure it's extremely. Not dog shit. It's a dead body smells like a dead body. It literally smells like nothing else except a dead body. Once you've smelled it, that's it. Like, that's The two it. worst smells in the world I've heard is burning flesh and decomposing flesh. Yeah. So, never yep. smelled either. Burning yep. hair is pretty rough. But <gasps> burning hair is hard. Burning hair is... Yeah, pr- I've burnt my hair real bad before. I have too. I'm like... <laughs> Black girls out there that listen to this, I got two words. Hot comb. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> like that one girl that's screaming, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Hot comb. I'm like, I dance. And he goes like this. <laughs> I'm like, whoop. And he's going, whoop. Jesus. Oh, my God. <sighs> anyway. So. Um, moving on. Yes. So this particular victim, he buried in the barbecue pit in his backyard. This one did not go into the crawl space. Now, this motherfucking bitch clearly can't. That is fine with decomposing smell. I, just by the way, that's like, not a problem to him. Apparently, not an issue. Nasty bitch. So by <laughs> 1975, uh, his PDM contractor business really, really, really started growing. So he started to uh, employ more and more and more high school students and young men. Also during this time, he freely admitted that he began to increase the frequency of sex with young males, and he would usually go out late nights cruising. Um, one of the youths that he hired in that year was a 15-year-old by the name of Anthony Antonucci. Bless you. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) so Antonucci came to, he, oh, I'm sorry, Gacy actually went to his home when he was alone because Antonucci had an injured foot. He gave him alcohol, wrestled him to the floor, and handcuffed his hands behind his back. Uh, Antonucci was able to get his right wrist loose, freed his arm from the handcuffs, and left Gacy in the room. When Gacy returned, Antonucci, who was a member of the high school wrestling team, uh, grabbed him, threw him to the ground, got the 
handcuff key and handcuffed Gacy's hands behind his back. Gacy started screaming, uh, promised to leave, then eventually calmed down and said he'd leave if Antonucci would remove the handcuffs. He agreed. Gacy left the house. And Antonucci later recalled that Gacy told him, not only are you the only one who got out of the cuffs, you're the only one that got me. Now, this guy has later been interviewed in life, and he actually had to get therapy for, um, I would, yeah, well, yeah, because you, you, I think it's, I think it's called like a, uh, what is it? Like victim's remorse. Like it, it's, it's a thing. Like if you're one of the victims that lived, it's almost like you feel guilty that you lived and mm-hmm. that all of these other victims died because he's like, had I not been a wrestler, would I have gotten away from him? I mean, because if you guys know what John Wayne Gacy looks like, or if you've seen the pictures, in our promos, he is a big, huge fat motherfucker like how a 16 17 year old scrawny kid could get away with get away from him without knowing some type of martial arts or wrestling i i mean i don't know how especially if he's got handcuffs right because that was something he used to do we'll get into this the hand there was a handcuff trick and a rope trick that he would do to um basically subdue them that was always his thing anytime he ever felt like he couldn't overpower them he'd give them drugs give them alcohol and then try to tie their hands behind their back. So a week after this assault, uh, one of his employees, an 18-year-old by the name of John Bokovich, went missing. Uh, the day before he went missing, Bokovich had actually threatened Gacy over two weeks of back pay. Gacy later admitted that he lured Bokovich into his home while his wife and stepchildren were, were out to settle the issue over the wages. He conned the youth into the you know, cuff trick that he would use, tell him to try to get out of him and then uh, tell him that he'd give him the key when he wouldn't. At this point, he strangled him to death, buried the body uh, under the concrete floor of his garage. I would like to know how he conned this guy while they're talking about wages and he's just casually like, hey, hey, by the way, let me try this handcuff trick on you. Where where did the conversation? He would, from the way I've seen it dramatized, is he would do this thing where he would go, hey, hey, I know I owe you money, but why don't we play this game real quick? And then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll double your money if you can get out of these handcuffs. Uh... So what he would do is he would put the handcuffs out of his back, but he would leave them loosened and then he would be able to get out of them. And then the kid would go, all right, all right, all right. If you can get out of them, of course I can get out of them. Well, of course, he didn't have them on all the way. So when he would put them on the teen, he would latch them completely. The teen would try to get out of them and go, I can't get out of them. I can't get out of them. All right, all right. I'm done with this. Get me out. And he goes, you know, the secret to this is you have to have the key. And then that's when they would start freaking out. And that's what he would take them down, wrestle them to the floor, oh strangle them, and murder them. So, yeah. That's not that. terrifying. Yeah. That's what he would do. <laughs> he would trick them. So it was never something would be like, hey, he would go like, hey, you know. I know I owe you 50 bucks, but I'll give you 100 if you can get out of these handcuffs. So he's the first And these kids of, are like, oh, you know, 100 bucks? I can get out of these fucking he's handcuffs. He's the original you know, like, jigsaw. Yeah, he's like, pretty much. like to play a game? Yeah, pretty much. And they're like, yeah! <laughs> so, uh, Bukovic's Dodge sedan was found abandoned in a parking lot with his wallet inside and the keys of the ignition. Uh, his father actually called Gacy to claim that he was happy to help search for the youth, but that he was sorry that he had run away. Gacy was questioned about his disappearance and admitted that the youth and two friends had arrived at his apartment 
uh, but claimed that all three of them had left after he had given them money. Um, over the following three years, his parents called the police more than a hundred times, urging them to investigate Gacy further. So the parents nothing, are woke. Nothing was done about his murder until Gacy admitted to it later after he was arrested. That's what happened with a lot of these murders. Um, deceiving youths with the handcuffs kind of became his modus operandi. Like I said, he would give them drugs and alcohol, basically get them as wasted as he possibly could, play this game with them like, hey, if you can get out of these handcuffs, I'll give you some money. And when they couldn't get out uh, is when he would rape them, torture them. He would also do something with a rope where he would place it behind their neck like a tourniquet and strangle them to death. Um, when in reality, when you sit and really think about this, it's really fucked up. Like, that's really fucked up. You know what else I found? This was another thing I found that was really fucked up, too. So in his home, like, not only was he, not only did he dress up like Pogo the Clown, apparently he was, like, really into clowns. And, like, his, like, basement den, like, where he would kind of have, like, the hangout spot, I guess it would be, like, the man cave, would was, like, paintings of clowns clown figuring so can you imagine that's a literal nightmare getting drunk and wasted with this fat fucking creep that's got clown pictures all over the place and then all of a sudden you're drunk he's got you in handcuffs and he's getting ready to rape you and you've got to watch clowns all over i would literally just turn and look at him and be like kill me that is the kill me now that is the worst way to go dude that's awful that is literally the worst ever. Because not only is he raping you, you're handcuffed, you get strangled to death or gagged to death, depending on, you know, his, what he decides to yeah, choose that he moment. to do in that moment. But, you know, that's, that's literally everybody's worst nightmare. Let's just go into this fun house and be raped and killed by a clown that's into clowns. God damn. When you really sit and think about it, it's... <laughs> I mean, it's horrifying. It oh literally sounds hor- horrifying. So from 1976, like I said, in the late 70s, from 76 to 78, after him and his wife divorced and he pretty much had the house to himself, is when the majority of his murders were committed. When he later referred to these as his cruising years, where he would go around and cruise for young men. Um, the month after his divorce, he abducted and murdered 18-year-old Daryl Samson. Sampson. He was last seen alive in Chicago on April 6, 1976. Five weeks later, on May 14th, 15-year-old Randall Reffert disappeared um, from Sin High School. He was gagged with a cloth and asphyxiated. Asphyxiated. Can I get that? <laughs> That's a word, word y'all. <laughs> Hours after Reffert was murdered, uh, 14-year-old Samuel Stapleton vanished after walking home from his sister's apartment. He was murdered and buried in the crawl space. So the majority of these murders, the bodies were buried in the crawl space. Um, in 1976, June of that year, Gacy killed 17-year-old Michael Bonin. He disappeared traveling from Chicago to Waukegan. He was strangled and buried in the crawl space. Ten days later, 16-year-old William Carroll was murdered um, and buried in the crawl space directly beneath his kitchen. Carol may have been the first of four males known to be murdered between June 13th and August 6th who were buried in a common grave located right below Gacy's kitchen. The three youths killed between June 13th and August 6th were between the ages of 16 and 17. 
Um, the only unidentified male known to have been murdered between these dates had medium dark brown hair and was estimated between to be between 23 and 30 years old. He had two missing front teeth, and investigators believe that he most likely had dentures. Uh, he was buried directly beneath 16-year-old James Hawkinson, who was last known to have phoned his family on August 5th, and his body was beneath that of 17-year-old Rick Johnson, who was last seen alive on August 6th of that year. Jesus Christ. In 1976 of July, 18-year-old David Cram was employed by Gacy, and on August 21st, Cram had moved into Gacy's home. Gacy conned Cram with the handcuffs while he was drunk, and Gacy swung him around and informed him that he intended to rape him. Cram, who actually had served a year in the Army, was able to kick Gacy in the face and free himself from the handcuffs as Lacey, as Lacey, Gacy lay on the ground. Lacey. Lacey, Gacy and Lay somehow just got swapped <laughs> together into Lacey. Oh, it's so gross. Like, Considering what we're talking way, about. Like, oh, Jesus, fuck. No. So, no Lacey. <laughs> no Lacey. No Lacey for Gacy. No Lacey for Gacy. <laughs> Hashtag no lacy for Gacy. Hashtag oh badge badge. <laughs> By the way, if anybody here's squeaking in the background, it's my fucking chair. I don't know what's going on. I picked the wrong chair. Okay, so in. we'll get the elephant out of the room there in case people keep hearing that. Here, here, here. They're like, what the fuck? Um, lacy. <laughs> <laughs> You're really gonna hear it. <laughs> so one month after this happened, uh, David is still living with him for some fucking yeah, ass get that. reason. Why dude? the fuck are you still living with that motherfucker, oh dumbass? My God. How could you sleep? How could you sleep? I would not sleep. My eyes would be open all the time. I'd be like, this bitch. Yeah, so because right after this incident happened, he went to his room, tried to do it to him again, and said, You really don't know who I am. Maybe it would just be good for you if you gave me what I wanted. He resisted his attempts again and left the bedroom. After this incident, he finally moved out, left PDM contractors, um, even though he did work for Gacy over the following two years off and on. Shortly after he left, another 18-year-old named Michael Rossi moved into Gacy's house. Obviously, Bitch, these guys are not communicating with each other. <laughs> these, <laughs> these boys are not talking. God, Jesus. Two further, two further unidentified males... Um, were estimated to be killed between August and October of 1976. They were buried directly above the body of William Carroll, who had been murdered on June 13th, um, yet higher than the body of Rick Johnston that was last seen on August 6th. The particularly unidentified male was estimated between 15 to 24 and had light brown hair. Um, let me see. Sequential burial patterns of the victims within the crawl space, plus the circumstantial fact that Cram had not lived with Gacy until August 21st, left the possible date between August 6th and the 20th that this particular man was murdered. Um, there was a second unidentified man that was believed to be murdered around that same time between August and October, um, and they were all buried in the northeast corner of the crawl space. Subsequent recollections of an employee of PDM contractors. Uh, was actually ordered to build a trench by Gacy in October of that year, which became the location for a particular victim's burial site um, around that same time. 
On October 24th, Gacy abducted Kenneth Parker and Michael Marino. They were last seen from arrest, leaving a restaurant. He strangled both youths and buried them in the crawl space. Two days later, a 19-year-old employee named William Bundy disappeared after a family party. He was strangled, buried in the crawl space, but in a spot that was directly beneath Gacy's master bedroom. This By motherfucker's house is small and like oh my a dead God. hand I mean, I at this point. I think that's like eight or ten bodies by now. Damn and he's got them under his kitchen. He's got them under his bedroom. He's got them under the laundry room. He's <sighs> In December of that year, another employee, 17-year-old Gregory Godsick, disappeared. He was last seen by his girlfriend after she had drove him home from a date. Godsick had only worked for PDM for about three weeks. Um, at the time that he had worked for Gacy, he had informed his family that he was digging trenches of some kind uh, in his crawl space. Godzik's car was later found abandoned. His parents and older sister had contacted Gacy, and Gacy claimed to the family that Greg had run away from home, having indicated to Gacy. Oh, having indicated that to Gacy before his disappearance. Gacy had also claimed to receive a recorded answering message from Godzik. When asked if he could play it back to them, he stated that he had erased it. So he was even fucking with their family. Like, that is so sick. Like, you knew what you did, and you... This guy was fucked up. I think he just finally got to a point after his wife left when he started getting away with these murders that he just literally didn't give a fuck anymore. Um, a month later, in January of 1977, John... Um, I think it's pronounced Sizik? He was a 19-year-old acquaintance of uh, Bukovic, Godzik, um, and Gacy. He disappeared. He was lured into Gacy's house. Clearly they weren't communicating like we talked That's about That's why before. I said, I'm like, if he was friends with, he was friends with Bukovic and Godzik, who both disappeared two years prior to this happening. So, I, yeah. So he was lured into Gacy's house with the pretext of Gacy selling him a car. After he was murdered, he was buried in the crawl space directly above Godzik, a ring that he wore that bore his initials um, Gacy took and kept in his dresser. Gacy also kept his uh, Motorola TV in his bedroom and later sold his car to Michael Rossi. From December of 76 to March of 77, Gacy is known to have killed an unidentified man that was around the age of 25 years old. And it's an inscription on a key fob found among his personal effects was buried with the victim and it may have had the name Greg or Gregory on it. His body was buried in a crawl space beneath the body of 20-year-old John Prestige, a Michigan youth that Gacy had murdered on March 15th. After Prestige was murdered, Gacy believed to have murdered one other victim and buried him in the crawl space, although the timing of this particular youth's murder was inconclusive. He was buried parallel to the wall, and two victims murdered on the same day in May of 76, were buried alongside this youth. So I think he, it's like he was just kind of putting them in like a, I don't even, I, I guess he had to have some kind of sequential pattern at that point. Cause I'm sure he was probably fucking running out of room. Seriously. Where are we at now? Like, I'm like, I, I lost just like count. Reading murder, I murder, seriously murder, lost murder. count. Well, cause so many of them weren't identified until later. Right. Um, in 77, he was hired as a contractor for PE systems, which were remodeling drugstores. Um, by this time in 77, Michael Rossi had moved out of his house. Gacy temporarily became engaged to a woman for three months, um, and moved her in. By mutual agreement, the engagement was called off and his fiance moved out. The following month, Gacy killed 19-year-old Matthew Bauman, um, 
buried him in the crawl space after strangling him with a tourniquet. Um, in August of 77, a clue emerged about the disappearance of John Sizzick. Michael Rossi, who had bought Sizzick's car, was arrested for stealing gas. The attendant noted the license plate and traced it back to Gacy's house. When questioned, Gacy told officers that Sizzick had sold him the car in February that he needed the money to leave town. When the police did not pursue the matter further, although they did inform Sizzick's mother that their son had sold his car to Gacy. In late 77, Gacy had actually started dating his second ex-wife again, Carol Hoff. By the end of 77, Gacy had also murdered an additional six men between the ages of 16 and 21. The first of these victims, 18-year-old Robert Gilroy, was the son of a Chicago police sergeant. On September 12th, he had flown to Pittsburgh and did not return until September 16th. As Gacy is known to have been in another state, it is possible that the subsequent claims that he had not acted alone in some of his murders may have gained credence. So there is viable evidence that did come out later that may have linked Gacy to a sex ring that would have led two other people to be involved with either supplying him victims or either directly or indirectly being responsible to the murders. Because according to him, he wasn't the only one that had access to his house during that time. True. So, and these were actually done by two police detectives that did yep. an investigation about this. Um, a Minnesota youth named Russell Nelson disappeared in October. Um, he was suffocated and buried in the crawl space. Four weeks later, a 16-year-old by the name of Robert Winch was murdered and also buried in the crawl space. Uh, November 18th, 20-year-old Tommy Bowling disappeared from a Chicago bar, strangled to death, and also placed in the crawl space. Three weeks after the murder of Tommy Bowling, a 19-year-old Marine named David Talsman disappeared after a rock concert, was also strangled and buried in the crawl space. Uh, December of 77, Gacy abducted 19-year-old Robert Donnelly from a bus stop. He drove him home, raped him, tortured him, dunked his head in a bathtub until he passed out. Donnelly later testified that Gacy's, at Gacy's trial that he was in such pain that he asked Gacy to just get it over with and killed him. <coughs> Excuse me. Whereas Gacy replied, I'm getting around to it. Isn't that a great response? <laughs> After several get hours of torturing him, Gacy... Uh, removed the handcuffs, drove him to his place of work, and released him. Donnelly reported the assault, and when Gacy was questioned about it, he admitted that Donnelly was his sex slave and that all of this was consensual? What? This motherfucking bitch thinking this shit is consensual? I mean, they believed him. Yep. So it's like no charges were filed. I seems like no charges are filed no matter fucking what these boys go to the police with. It's like they're just like, oh, okay, well, we're not going to look into it any farther. It's You know, fine. it's the 70s. It's white privilege. And no cop is dealing with anything that has to do with being gay. Remember what happened with yeah, Donner? True. Yep. That little boy goes running out of the house, butt naked, bleeding from his head. And the cops are like, meh, run along. And then are caught on a police recording saying, oh, yeah, these two fags. Yeah, they didn't care. Yeah, they got fired. <laughs> they, didn't give, they didn't give one shit one way or about it or the other. Well, they believed him, and he totally got away with it. He later testified at his trial, but he got away with that. Um, the following month, Gacy killed 19-year-old William, William Kindred. Um, and then in March of that year, he killed Jeffrey Rignall 
after chloroforming him, raping him, torturing him. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He was unconscious, but he was actually alive. He did not kill him. Um, eventually, Jeffrey was managed to get back to his girlfriend's apartment. Uh, he was... He was later oh, informed, later informed that, that the chloroform had actually permanently damaged his liver. God, that's fucking awful. They didn't investigate. Uh, the police were informed, but they didn't investigate. He said a lot of it he was unable to recall because of the haze of the chloroform, but he did distinctly remember Gacy's black Oldsmobile. Um, he staked out the exit on the expressway where he knew that Gacy had driven um, and then saw Gacy's distinctive black Oldsmobile uh, and followed him back to his home. Police issued an arrest warrant, and Gacy was arrested on July 15th. He was in fa he was facing an impending trial for the battery charge of Rignall when he was arrested in December for the murders. Woo! Finally. So we that was him. April of that year that they were actually <laughs> able to trace him. They found, like Rignall said, I know where his car is going to be on the specific expressway. And in April, they found him and followed him back to his home. Um, he later confessed to police that he had initially considered stowing bodies in his attic, but was worried about excessive leakage. Uh, <laughs> um, therefore, he chose to dispose of the victims off the I-55 bridge into the De Plains River. He stated that he had thrown a total of five bodies off of the I-55 bridge into the river in, a 19, in 1978, one of which he believed had landed on a barge, although only four of those five bodies was ever found. Y'all, that's fucking nasty. You you run out of room in, in your crawl space, so you're like, you know, I'd like to put these in the attic, but I can't put them in the attic because I'm worried they'll leak through. That's disgusting. So there were 33 victims, 28. So one was buried in the garage. The one was buried in the back barbecue pit. So that means 26 of them were buried in the crawl space, and then the other five he threw in the river. 26 bodies were in that crawl space? That motherfucker wanted to put some in his attic. That place had to smell like, had to reek of just decomposing bodies. Oh my god. Like, oh my god. Like, how... Could, this is an Ed game. You got an oh Ed game on our hands horrific. right now. I'm like... <laughs> So one of the first victims that was thrown off the bridge was 20-year-old Timothy O'Rourke that was killed in mid-June. His body was found six miles downstream on June 30th. He just wanted some cigarettes. On November 4th. <laughs> oh my god, I know. Like, Poor guy. Like, I feel that guy's pain. <laughs> Bitch, you better think I'm not gonna walk down here to the fucking gas station to get my cigarettes. I ain't gonna end up on the bottom of a fucking river. <laughs> Poor fucking guy. I know when you look at it that way. It's like, you did drive that cigarette. He just needed some nicotine. That's oh all he needed. God, poor guy. Um, November of that year, 19-year-old uh, Frank Landigan, Landingen? Landingen was thrown <laughs> off the bridge. Uh, his body was found November 12th. Three weeks later, 20-year-old James Mazzara um, was thrown off the bridge. After having Thanksgiving dinner with yeah, his fucking family. That would have been Thanksgiving, and his body was found three days after Christmas. Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'll, I'll save you guys the trouble of reading how he actually died. It just, oh, my God, this is so horrific. Um, on the afternoon, Bodily fluids. Yeah, just hashtag bodily fluids. On the afternoon of December 11th, 1978, Gacy visited a pharmacy to discuss potential remodeling with the store's owner, Phil Torf. 
Uh, Gacy was within earshot of 15-year-old part-time employee Robert Peast. Um, he had mentioned his firm of hiring teenage boys with a starting wage of $5 per hour. This was double the pay that Peast was earning working part-time at the pharmacy. After Gacy had left, Peace had told his mother about a contractor that he wanted to talk to about a job. Um, Peace left the store promising to return shortly. When Peace failed to return, his family filed a missing person report with the Deplain police. The owner of the pharmacy named Gacy as the contractor that Peace was most likely telling his mother about that he had left the store to talk about a job. Gacy denied talking to Peace when the police uh, visited his home the following day, indicating that he had seen Two youths working at the pharmacy, he asked one of them whether any remodeling materials were present, but he was adamant that he did not offer Peace a job and promised to come back to the station to make a statement. Um, at 3.20 a.m., Gacy, covered in mud, arrived at the police station, claiming that he just in, he had just been involved in an accident. Upon Bitch. returning to the station later that day... He denied any involvement in Robert Peace's disappearance, repeated that he never offered him a job. When asked why he returned to the pharmacy later, Gacy claimed that he had done so in response to a phone call from Phil Torf informing him that he had left an appointment book at the store. Detectives that already spoke to Torf said that that never happened, and at the request of the detectives, Gacy prepared a written statement. The Plains police were convinced that Gacy was behind uh, Peace's disappearance. No they shit. They checked his record, discovering that he had an outstanding battery charged against him in Chicago, and it's fi finally looked back into the prison sentence that he had served in Iowa for sodomy of the 15-year-old boy. They searched Gacy's home on December, December 13th um, on order by a judge, and uh, at the request of detectives, they turned up several suspicious items. A 1975 Maine West high school class ring, various driver's license, handcuffs, two-by-fours dr drilled with holes, books on homosexuality and uh, pederasty. Mm -hmm. It's a very old word. A syringe, male clothing, way too small for Gacy. A starter pistol and a photo receipt from the pharmacy where Robert Peast worked. Police decided to confiscate Gacy's Oldsmobile along with the PDM vehicles and assigned two man, a two-man surveillance team to follow Gacy. The following day, investigators received a phone call from Michael Rossi, who informed the investigators of Gregory Godzik's disappearance and the fact that another employee, Charles Hatula, had been found drowned in the Illinois River the previous year. December 15th, Investigators obtained further details about Gacy's battery charge, learning that Jeffrey Rignall had reported that Gacy had lured him, chloroformed him, raped him, and dumped his body with severe chest and facial burns and also rectal bleeding <laughs> in Lincoln Park that following morning. In an interview with Gacy, Gacy, I'm sorry, in an interview with Gacy's former wife, they learned of the disappearance of John Budovic. They were able to trace the Maine West High School ring to John Allen Sizik. In an interview with Sizik's mother the same day, she informed officers that in 1977, uh, in the 1977 disappearance of her son, several other items were missing from his apartment, including his TV, which they end up finding in Gacy's home. Investigators noted that one of Gacy's employees, Michael Rossi, drove a similar car to Sizik's, and after they did a VIN check, they were able to find out that that was Sizzik's vehicle. On December 16th, Gacy started to become friendly with the surveillance, surveillance detectives, buying them coffee, 
um, offering them meals, offering to buy him drinks at the at the bar, while repeatedly denying that he had anything to do with Peace's disappearance. Knowing that these officers were unlikely to arrest him on anything trivial, he openly taunted them with traffic laws um, and succeeded in losing his pursuers on more than one occasion. On December 17th, the investigators conducted a formal formal interview with Michael Rossi, where he informed them that Gacy had sold him Sizzik's vehicle with the explanation that Sizzik had moved to California. A further examination of Gacy's Oldsmobile um, they discovered a small cluster of fibers that they believed to be human hair. Uh, they conducted a test using three trained German shepherds to determine whether Peace had been present in the vehicle. Um, one of the dogs approached Gacy's Oldsmobile and laid upon the passenger seat in what the dog's handlers informed them as a death reaction, indicating that his body had been present. That evening, Gacy invited the two surveillance detectives to a restaurant. In the early hours of December 18th, he invited the same officers uh, to another restaurant over breakfast to talk about business and his activities as a clown and their marriages. At one point during the conversation, Gacy remarked, you know, clowns can get away with murder. I would have been like, bitch, what the fuck? <laughs> What's that supposed to be? That mean? is fucking horrifying he's literally giving them everything they need and they're just fucking dancing around like shit again like you said though this is the 70s no one gives a fuck shit yeah, nobody literally gives a shit nobody cares so um gacy showed up on december 18th uh with visible signs of strain from the constant surveillance he was tired anxious and had been drinking heavily that afternoon he drove to the lawyer's office to prepare for his civil suit against the DePlane Police Department demanding that they cease surveillance. That same day, the serial number of the pharmacy photo receipt found in Gacy's kitchen was traced to 17-year-old Kim Byers, a colleague of Peast at the pharmacy, who admitted when contacted in person the following day that she had worn a jacket and had placed the receipt in the parka pocket just before she gave the parka to Peace as he left to talk with the contractor. This revelation contradicted Gacy's statement that he had no contact with Robert Peace on the evening of December 11th. The presence of this receipt in his home meant that Gacy must have had contact with him after he had left the pharmacy. That same evening, Michael Rossi was interviewed a second time. On this occasion, he was more cooperative and informed detectives in 1977 that Gacy had him spread 10 bags of lye in the crawl space of his house. Oh! On December 19th, <laughs> investigators compiled evidence for a second search warrant. Um, that same day, his lawyers filed the civil suit, which was scheduled for December 22nd. That afternoon, he invited the two officers into his home. On this occasion, one of the officers distracted Gacy while another officer walked into Gacy's bedroom in an unsuccessful attempt to gain the serial numbers off the Motorola TV. When flushing Gacy's toilet, the officer noticed a smell that obviously <laughs> smelled like rotting corpses emanating Something from the wrong. heating duct. Something is awry. The officers who previously searched Gacy's house failed to notice this on the occasion that that day the house had been cold. Oh, so you're telling me that it had to be... Ooh, so it's it coming warm. through the heating ducts. 
Both David Cram and Michael Rossi were interviewed by investigators on December 20th. Rossi had agreed to be interviewed in relation to the possible link with John Sizzik in the disappear- and also in the disappearance of Robert Peace. When questioned by Detective Joseph, Joseph, oh boy. Kozensack. Thank you, Kozensack. As to where he believed Gacy had placed Peace, Rossi replied, he placed him in the crawl space. I'm sure he put him in the crawl space. A polygraph test conducted upon the youth showed his responses to be inconclusive. However, when he agreed to a subsequent visual test on the map of Cook County that was divided into 12 grids marked 1 through 12 with Gacy's home marked on the fourth grid. Uh, one more time. I'm sorry. I don't know why. Kozenzak noted. It's okay. You help me with that. Mine. I'm like, I Cozenzac can't read this. What does this say? Noticed <laughs> that uh, an extreme response and Rossi's blood pressure when he was asked is the body of Robert Peace buried in grid number four. Upon hearing this, Rossi refused to continue the polygraph, although he did discuss further digging trenches in the crawl space and remarked upon Gacy's insistence that he not deviate from where he was instructed to dig. Cram himself informed investigators of Gacy's <laughs> attempt to rape him in 76 and stated that after he and Gacy had returned to this home, on the December 13th search of the property, Gacy had turned pale upon noting a clot of mud on the carpet, which he suspected had come from the crawl space. Kramitz stated that Gacy had grabbed a flashlight and immediately entered the crawl space to look for evidence of digging. When asked whether or not Cram had been in the crawl space, he replied he had asked Gacy to spread lime down there and also dug trenches upon Gacy's behest with the explanation that they were only for plumbing. Bitch. On the evening, no, why would you have to lay line for plumbing? That makes no sense. On the evening of December 20th, Gacy drove to his lawyer's office on Park Ridge to attend a pre-scheduled meeting uh, to arrange for the civil suit. Upon arrival, he was disheveled and immediately asked for an alcoholic drink, whereupon Sam Amarant fetched a bottle of whiskey. Upon his return, Amarant asked Gacy where, what he had to discuss with him. Gacy picked up a copy of the Daily Herald, pointed to the front page article, covering the disappearance of Robert Peace. The boy is dead. He's in the river. He informed his lawyers. Could you imagine? He's just like, I'm done. You know what? Fuck it. He's dead. He's in the river. Gacy gave a (laughs) rambling confession that went way into the early hours of the morning. He began informing his lawyers that he had been judge, jury, and executioner of many, many people, many of whom were buried in his crawl space. Others were thrown into the De Plains River. He named some of his victims. Most he dismissed as male prostitutes, hustlers, liars, who he gave the rope trick. And on other occasions, he stated he would wake up to find dead, strangled kids on his floor with handcuffs behind their back. In reference to Robert Peace, Gacy stated that he placed the tourniquet around his neck and that Peace was crying and scared. As he consumed more alcohol, Gacy fell asleep mid-conversation and Amaret immediately arranged a psychiatric appointment for him at 9 a.m. Upon awakening several hours later, Gacy simply shook his head when informed that he had early confessed to killing 30 people, stating, well, I can't think about that right now. I got things to do. Ignoring his lawyer's advice. That's literally what he said. Ignoring his lawyer's advice, he left their office to attend the needs of his business. I got things to do. I can't talk about these 30 people I've killed. And I just I got confessed to, to murdering and burying in my crawl space and throwing in a river. He recollected that just the memories so casually. of his final day of freedom were hazy. Um, upon leaving his lawyer's office, he drove to a gas station 
where in the course of filling up his rental car, he handled a small bag of weed to the gas station attendant named Lance (laughs) Jacobson. Jacobson immediately handed the bag to a surveillance officer, adding that Gacy had told him, the end is coming. These guys are going to kill me. Gacy then drove to his home, to the home of a fellow contractor, Ronald Road. Inside Rhodes' home, Gacy hugged him, burst in tears, and said, I killed 30 people, give or take a few. Gacy then left Rhodes' home to meet with Michael Rossi and David Cram. As he drove along the express ray, the surveillance officers noted that he was holding a rosary and praying. I don't think God can save you at this point. Oh my God. (laughs) After talking with Cram and Rossi at Cram's home, Gacy had Cram drive him to a scheduled meeting with Leroy Stevens. As he spoke with his lawyer, Cram informed the officers that Gacy had earlier divulged to him, uh, him and Rossi, that previous evening that he had confessed to his lawyers that he was guilty of over 30 murders. When concluding, Gacy had Cram drive him to Mary Hill Cemetery where his father was buried. As Gacy drove to various locations that morning, police outlined their second search warrant. The purpose of this warrant was specific, specifically to look for Robert Peace's body in the crawl space. Upon hearing over radioed reports in light of his erratic behavior, Gacy might commit suicide. Police decided to arrest him on the charge of the marijuana that he had given the gas station attendant earlier that They're day. They're like, we gotta get him before he kills himself. <laughs> on the evening of December 21st, on the eve of Gacy's civil suit, the second search warrant was granted. Armed with the search warrant, police and evidence techs quickly drove to Gacy's home. Upon arrival, officers found that Gacy had unplugged his sump pump and that the crawl space was flooding with water. To clear the water, they simply replaced the plug and waited for the water to drain. After it had been done so, an evidence tech named Daniel Genty entered the 28 by 38 foot. That is not that big, you guys, to have 20 what did we gather? 26. 26 bodies. In. He immediately started digging. Within minutes, he uncovered... God, I hate this word. He uncovered <laughs> putrefied flesh and a human arm, bur- arm bone. But you gotta think about it. The, it was flooded with water. So now all the water's gone. Mm-hmm. Which makes those bodies mm-hmm. nasty. Mm-hmm. Like, y'all... <laughs> and this guys, make this a is a movie in itself. This, this is, is in December in Chicago. It's snowing, so you know the heat's on. Oh god, I don't even want to think about it. I don't even think about it. At least the cold. At least the ground is cold. At least, at least. He we immediately invest. <laughs> he immediately shouted. After Genty found the human arm bone, he immediately shouted to charge Gacy with murder. He stated, "I think this place is." full of kids. After being informed that the police had found human remains in his crawl space, Gacy told officers that he wanted to clear the air, adding that he knew his arrest was imminent and that he had spent the previous evening on the couch of his lawyer's office. In the early hours of December 22, 1978, Gacy confessed to police that since 1972, he had committed 25 to 30 murders, all of whom he falsely claimed were teenage male runaways and prostitutes. See, this is what pissed me off, because most of these boys that he murdered were just high school kids. Some of them were some of them were walking home from Thanksgiving dinner. One guy just dropped his girlfriend off after a date. One guy wanted to go get cigarettes. Another kid was, you know, working in a pharmacy, just wanted a part-time job. I mean, these were not no. 
I think he was just building that up to make himself look There were better. only like a handful of them that we mentioned that he actually picked up from that Chicago bus station that he would go cruising. And that was only for two years out of all of the murders that he did. That was probably like maybe six people. And those were the murder. Those were the ones that, that were believed. I think there was one male that was believed to be like 24 years old and one, but they were all between the ages of like 16 and 25. They, they were, were all very young, very young. I, just, I guess in his mind, maybe it made him look better. If I they think were it made him feel better because he held himself up to, you know, even after he was arrested, he was still held himself up to this regard in the community. So it made him feel better to just dismiss them as being male prostitutes and runaways and drug addicts. And nobody gave a fuck. That's about what him. you do. He offered him money, promised him jobs. And sometimes he, again, would impersonate a police officer. Uh, once back at his house, he would. Typically, like we said, his modus operandi is he would tie him up, rape him, torture him, strangle him, bury him in the crawl space. Uh, the victims were usually lured into the house on approximately... Oh, okay, so he said usually he would kill him in the house. Sometime he would do two in one evening. Uh, most of his victims, he would pour quicklime to hasten the decomposition of the bodies. In 1979, he had actually planned to conceal the corpses by covering the entire crawl space with concrete. He stated at one point that he just started losing count of how many he buried in the crawl space uh, before he started considering to putting them in the attic before he opted on throwing them over the bridge into the river. When specifically questioned about Robert Peast, Gacy confessed to strangling him on the evening of December 11th after luring him, adding that he had interrupted by a phone call by a colleague. He also admitted to sleeping alongside his body that evening after disposing it into the Duplain River. The reason he had arrived at the Duplain River or the Duplain police station that morning of the 13th covered in mud, claiming that it was a traffic accident because this was after he had disposed of his body. He had slid on an ice covered road and was trying to push his vehicle out instead of having it uh, towed. Um, he also confessed to police that he buried uh, John Budovic in his garage. So that was the one that was buried in the garage. Um, upon searching for the victim, Gacy returned to the house on December 22nd and showed the police the location in the garage where Budovic's body was buried. The police then drove to the spot on the I-55 bridge where it is believed that Peace and four other victims' bodies were thrown. Only four of the five victims Gacy claimed to have disposed of were found. Between December 29th, or I'm sorry, between December 22nd and December 29th of 1978, 27 bodies were recovered from Gacy's, Gacy's property. Rather, 26 of them, like we mentioned, were buried in the crawl space. Following a temporary postponement of the excavations imposed in January 1979 because of the severe winter in Chicago of that year, they resumed in March despite Gacy's insistence to investigators that all of the victims' bodies had been found. On March 9th, the 28th victim was found underneath the barbecue grill in the backyard. Um, that was the one that was leaking bodily fluid. Mm -hmm. He wore a silver ring on his fourth finger, so it indicated that he that had possibly been, been married. Or no, that wasn't Sizzik. That was Sorry. the one that was unidentified. Yeah. Uh, one week later, on March 16th, the skeletal remains of another victim were found beneath the floor joists of the dining room floor. This brought the total 
uh, bodies at 8213 West Somerdale Avenue to 29. Now, if anybody was wanting to look for that home on in April 7th of, I'm sorry, in April of 1979, it was demolished. I would hope so. So that no house one wants is fucking not live there. there. Well, you know how some people are. They would want to. I apologize. Well, okay. <laughs> that like <laughs> that. Happens all the time oh around here, gosh. and that's I just I had to fart. <laughs> I had to fart really bad. I'm guys, in this really I... small room too, guys. Like, imagine the smell. We're talking Body about decomposing bodies. Not like <laughs> putrefied, <laughs> putrefied fart. <laughs> no, for real, these fucking assholes around here oh like to be as God. loud as goddamn possible when they drive. I want everybody by to here. hear my Mustang. I'm like, I don't give a fuck about I don't give a fuck about your Mustang. Why you gotta be so goddamn loud? Making all that noise but ain't going nowhere. Yeah, I said it. I said what I said. You're in a fucking parking lot, you dumb fuck. Where are you going? You gonna hit somebody? You gonna hit a fucking kid? Okay. Dumbass Anyway, sorry about that fart. I had a burrito. (laughs) Also, sorry about destroying your ears, because I'm sure that's what that did. Sorry, guys. That's going to be funny, though. Like, sorry, I farted. My bad. So, like we said, there was a total of 27 bodies found on the property, and three bodies were found in the river between Just 29. Oh, I'm sorry, you're right. 29 bodies were found in the house. Three bodies were found in 1978 in the river. And then the fourth body, which was Robert peace wasn't found until 1979 later washed down the river um all of the victims were in an advanced stage of decomposition the medical examiner had to rely on dental records to facilitate the identification of most of the remains two of the victims were identified because of known connection to gacy through pdm contractors uh these identifications were also supported via personal artifacts that were found. Um, like we mentioned, he kept driver's license and IDs and things like that. Uh, Gacy was brought up on trial on February 6, 1980, charged with 33 murders. At the request of his defense counsel, he spent over 300 hours in that year before trial with doctors at the Menard Correctional Center. He underwent psychological tests before a panel of psychiatrists to determine if he was competent to stand trial. He had attempted to convince doctors that he suffered from multiple personality disorder. His lawyers had opted that Gacy plead not guilty by reason of insanity um, to the charges against him and produced several psychiatric experts who examined Gacy the previous year to testify their findings. Three psychiatric experts um, testified that they found Gacy to be a paranoid schizophrenic with multiple personality disorder. The prosecutors presented a case that indicated that Gacy was completely sane and fully in control. To support this contention, they produced several witnesses to testify to premeditation of Gacy's actions. Those doctors refuted the defense claims of multiple personality disorder and insanity. Two witnesses who testified were PDM employees who confessed that Gacy had made them dig trenches in his crawl space. One of them was David Cram that had testified in August 1977 um, that he was also told to dig a drainage uh, trench. Immediately after Cram completed testimony, Michael Rossi testified. 
When asked where he had dug in the crawl space, Rossi turned to a diagram of Gacy's home. This diagram showed where the bodies were found. Rossi pointed to the location of the remains of an unidentified victim known as Body 13. He stated that he had not dug any other trenches, but at Gacy's request had supervised other employees digging trenches. Rossi and Cram both testified that Gacy would periodically look into the crawl space to ensure that other employees ordered to dig did not deviate from the precise location. Gacy testified after his arrest that he only dug five of the graves and had employees dig the remaining trenches so they would have graves available. One of the employees was actually Gregory, Gregory Godsick, one of the men he murdered. Basically made him dig his own fucking grave, if you think Isn't that about nice? it. Isn't that nice? disgusting. On February 18th, Dr. Robert Stein, uh, the Cook County Medical Examiner, appointed to exhuming the victim's bodies, testified as to how he and his colleagues had conducted the recovery remains. They basically did it like, kind of like, you know, when you see like those archaeological digs. Oh, yeah. That's basically the way that they had to do it. Um, upon cross-examination, Gacy's defense uh, attempted to raise the possibility that all 33 deaths were due to autoerotic asphyxiation. Bullshit. Dr. Stein Stein had countered this assertion by stating that this claim was highly improbable, basically due to the examinations of the way that the ligatures were tied around their neck. Clearly, it wasn't autoerotic asphyxiation. Three days after the testimony, Jeffrey Rignall testified on behalf of prosecution, recounting the abuse and torture that he had endured in 1978. He repeatedly wept in response to questioning Relating to whether Gacy appreciated the criminality of his actions, Rignall stated that he believed that Gacy was unable to conform to the conduct of law because of the beastly and animalistic ways that he attacked me. Upon cross-examination relating to the torture, Rignall vomited before being excused from further testimony. That poor guy. Poor guy, oh my dude. God. On February 29th, one of the youths that Gacy sexually assaulted in 1967, Donald Voorhees, Mr. Voorhees has returned that Gacy paid another youth to beat him and spray mace in his face so that he would not testify against him. The youth at the time felt unable to testify, but did briefly attempt to do so before stepping down. Robert Donnelly testified the week after Voorhees recounting his ordeal with Gacy in 1977. He he appeared visibly distressed as he recollected the abuse he endured by Gacy um, and came close to breaking down several times. As Donnelly testified, Gacy repeatedly laughed. But Donnelly did manage to finish. What an asshole. One of what Gacy's an asshole. attorneys attempted to discredit his testimony, but Donnelly did not waver from what had actually occurred. During the fifth week of trial, Gacy wrote a personal letter to the judge requesting a mistrial on the number of basis, including that he did not approve his lawyer's insanity plea, that his lawyers did not allow him to take the witness ta- stand. Why would he even have to? He would have totally incriminated himself. Um, Upon other reasons, which were total bullshit, the judge addressed Gacy's Gacy's letter by informing him that under the law, he had the choice as to whether he wished to testify, and he was free to indicate as much to the judge if he wished to do so. On March 11th, final arguments from both the prosecution and defense attorneys began. Um, The prosecuting attorney, Terry Sullivan, argued Gacy's history of abusing youths, the testimony of his efforts to avoid detection... And that his surviving, Gacy described his surviving victims as the living dead. 
Sullivan stated, John Gacy has accounted for more human devastation than many earthly catastrophes, but one must tremble. I tremble when thinking about just how close he came to getting away with it all. And he really did. He came very close. I mean, if you guys think about it, he came really, really close to getting away with it. He wouldn't have stopped, though. No. He would have kept going. No, he would have kept going. He had planned on it. Yep. He had planned on adding more space in his home to get rid of them or just dumping them over the I need to just build front. more space over here because I need to put my bodies over here. This is a room for my bodies. I need a bodies room. I need a bodies room. I'm sorry. That was not funny. I'm going to hell for that. <laughs> I'm going to hell for that. That was not a laughing matter. The defense lawyers uh, <laughs> attempted to portray Gacy as a man driven by his compulsions that he was unable to control. In Bull support of his arguments, I know, they repeatedly referred to the testimony of the doctors that appeared in his defense. In addition to the testimony um, by Jeffrey Rignall and one of Gacy's former associates who both believed that Gacy was unable to control his actions. Oh, was he, was he, um, possessed by a demon? By some of them say he was possessed by a demon. Yeah, I'm really surprised he didn't try to pull that bullshit. The devil was in me. <laughs> I'm I'm really surprised he didn't pull that bullshit. I know. He probably didn't know how to, he wasn't raised in like, that's true. Anything, yeah, yeah, So he probably didn't that, even know so anything about the devil. Let's just try to say I'm crazy. Satan was inside of my soul. On the morning of March 12th. <laughs> William Kunkel, who was the prosecutor at Gacy's trial, referred to the defense's contention of insanity as a total sham, arguing the facts demonstrated Gacy's ability to think logically and control his actions. He referred to the testimony of a doctor that had examined Gacy in 1968, who diagnosed him as antisocial person as an antisocial personality capable of committing crimes without any remorse. He indicated that the recommendations of this doctor needed should have been heated, um, and if they had been, Gacy would have never been freed, basically saying that this never would have happened. At the close of argument, Kunkel pulled each of the 22 photos of Gacy's victims off the board and displayed them to the jury, not to show sympathy, but to show them justice. He asked that the jury show the same sympathy this man showed when he took their lives and put them there, before throwing the stack of photos into the opening of the trap door of Gacy's crawl space, which had been introduced as evidence and was on display in the courtroom. The jury deliberated for less than two hours before they found Gacy guilty of all 33 murders. I would fucking hope so. Literally, all of it's in front of you. How in the fucking world can you, like... Took them less than two hours. It would have taken me less than 15 minutes. Fucking walked in the room and been like, what do you think, guilty? I'm done. <laughs> I don't know what... Yeah. Why? I mean, maybe they broke for lunch. <laughs> I don't... It took them like 20 minutes and they took a really long ass right, lunch like, after that. And they a smoke break. It was like five minutes. And, five and minutes. a nap. Guilty. And guilty. <laughs> okay. Let's go eat, guys. We got time for a nap, a smoke, a cigarette. Or <laughs> um, that he... Woo, woo, motherfucker. Wow. Gotta love the train. Um, he was also found guilty of sexual assault and taking inde- indecent liberties of a child. Those were both in reference to Robert Peace. God, I live in the worst spot. <laughs> Cars, trains, planes, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> Might as well a plane come over here as well. Like, Oh my God. Like, that's literally all we would need now is to hear a plane engine fly over. And we test like, it. It'll set. happen. We're done. We're done for the day. 
Um, it's like you guys are sitting right with us. Look at it that way. You guys are right here. <laughs> the prosecution requested a death sentence for each murder committed after the Illinois statute on capital punishment came into effect in 1977. The defense, of course, requested life imprisonment. The jury deliberated for more than two hours after, for the sentencing phase, Gacy was sentenced to death for 12 counts of murder upon which the prosecution had sought penalty, and his execution date was set for June 2nd, 1980. Upon being sentenced, Gacy was transferred to Menard Correctional Center in Chester, Illinois, and he actually remained on death row for 14 years. During this time is when Gacy started to paint. As we mentioned, he painted various pictures um, most of them depicting clowns, um, specifically himself as Pogo the Clown. Uh, some of the paintings were displayed in exhibitions. Uh, some of them sold between two hundred to $20,000. I wonder if Zach Bagans has any of his paintings. I don't think oh, he does, yeah, but does he? Museum? I don't think he does. I... Because you know, didn't he just buy a, Dahmer's glasses? I do remember seeing the documentary where someone had actually bought for a private collection the original Pogo painting that he signed. Wow. Um, so Gacy had a specific signature that he would put on. He would put J.W. Gacy in the bottom left-hand corner of his paintings. So if you ever, if anybody is ever into collecting that kind of thing and you happen upon something that says it's John Wayne Gacy memorabilia... If it does not have that specific signature on it, it is fake or it is a reprint. That Pogo Clown picture has become so popular that people actually copied the painting or made reprints of it, stating that it was Gacy's, and it wasn't. So watch that. Yeah. So although Gacy was permitted to earn money from the sale of his paintings, he claimed that his artwork was intended to bring joy into people's lives. Because that's what he did. He brought joy into people's oh lives. My God. So much joy. Oh my God. So much. On he brings joy to my life. <laughs> I'm I like, am... what the fuck, dude? One of his fucking paintings, you guys, is a depiction of a skull. But if you look at it, it's made up of a bunch of naked bodies. Yeah, because that brings joy to somebody's life. A psychopath? Yeah. Fitting. <laughs> Are you a psychopath? Do you want joy brought into your life? Well, I have the painting just for you. for you. Um, in February of 1983, Gacy was stabbed in the arm by Henry Bris Brisbane. Brisbane. Uh, he was known as the I-57 killer. At the time of the attack, Gacy had been working on a voluntary work program uh, that Brisbane ran, and he stabbed Gacy once in the upper arm with a sharpened wire. Jesus. Should have stabbed him in the fucking eye. I was going to say, damn, they missed. <laughs> uh, after his incarceration, Gacy read numerous law, book law books and tried to file several motions and appeals, and none of them prevailed, obviously. How in the fucking world are you going to try to get an appeal when 29 oh, he bodies tried were found? everything. He said that the first search warrant wasn't valid. Okay. Um, okay. He objected to his lawyer's insanity plea. He contended that although he had knowledge of five of the murders, that he did not commit them because he was away on business trips <laughs> i mean all all different kinds of things um Jesus. so he was ultimately executed on the on uh, may 9th 1994 again as we mentioned uh, part of his last meal was a bucket of kfc a dozen fried shrimp french fries fresh strawberries and a diet coke because you gonna need diet coke after all that shit 
Diet Coke, for, okay. Diet Coke is nasty. Why is that going to be your last drink I guess you before you die? You, don't, you know, you don't need those useless calories when you're going into hell. I'd be like, listen, <laughs> I need a McDonald's fucking Coke. <laughs> An actual McDonald's Coke, because that's all no, I've ever you wanted. you know what I want? Life. I would want a Frisch's Cherry Coke with their bomb-ass ice. Mm. McDonald's Coke still for me. Damn. I'd still be having Texas Roadhouse anyway. roll, shower me, and fucking yeah, center me Yeah, Texas Roadhouse... But I want that fucking cherry coke for me. It's like, I want rolls and cinnamon butter from Texas Roadhouse. I will take a McDonald's Coke. I will also have fried chicken from Jocko's, Why are please. we listing what our final meal... Oh, chicken from Jocko's. Why are we listing what our final... Can I also get a stuffed crust pizza from um, Pizza Hut, please? <laughs> Can I make sure that the bacon is on that? Uh, make it crispy? Can I... <laughs> Like I said, how much can I do here? I can rally. I'll throw up this and then we'll keep going. Just in case you guys ever wanted to know what mine and Casper's last meals would be prior to our executions. Oh, and you know what I would want to drink? A pumpkin spice latte, bitch. After. After, after the, the coke. I would after the coke. coke. Yeah. It would be like, you know how after sometimes you have coffee after a big meal? Mm-hmm. I'd be like, I need that PSO. Mm-hmm. Bring me one from Dunkin'. Bring it's me one make- from Starbucks. I need all the fucking pumpkin and in my I'm life. shit. And then I'm gonna shit. <laughs> That's gonna be what I need to shit it all out so I don't shit on the fucking floor when you kill me. That's what it's gonna oh do. Instant laxative. Oh what the God. fuck is this conversation? <laughs> I, I just wanna I give it up. I just wanna give it up to uh, Becky right now because oh she has been like God. star for this last two Thank hours. You just guys. going on and on and I'm over here just like listening it. and chiming in, but she's done a good job. And all the times so I've been getting tongue tied and throat dried and thank you. <laughs> tongue tied and throat, throat dried. dried. I want a shirt that says that. <laughs> tongue tied and throat dried. Can somebody make that a shirt, please? That actually sounds that really sexual. Box. Uh, <laughs> that actually sounds extremely sexual. Tongue tied and throat dried. That's why I want it. Duh. Um, Lesbian is not wanting that, but it's amazing. <laughs> so before his execution, <laughs> the chemicals that were used uh, had unexpectedly solidified, which clogged the IV tube. So it took 18 minutes for him to die. Even Satan was like, nope, I don't want this bitch. Satan was causing all the chaos. He's like, solidify, solidify, solidify. We don't want him down here. Leave him. Leave him. <laughs> Satan's like, not today, Gacy. Right. (laughs) So on the subject, William Kunkel, the prosecutor, said he got off much easier than any of his victims. He really did, though. I'm just like, who gives a fuck? I don't give a shit. It took you 18 minutes? Fuck that guy. Um, Although Gacy, although there were published reports that Gacy was diagnosed as a psychopath... He did not expect, express any remorse whatsoever for his crimes. His final statement to his lawyer before he was executed that killing him would not compensate for the loss of others, the state was murdering him, and his final spoken words were kiss my ass. In the hours leading up to his execution, a crowd of over a thousand people gathered outside the correctional center, the majority of whom were vocally in favor of their execution, even though a number were anti-death penalty protesters. Some of them wore shirts 
Harkening Gacy's previous community services as a clown with satirical slogans reading, no tears for this clown. The anti-death penalty protesters led a silent candlelight vigil. His death was confirmed at 12.58 a.m. on May 10th, 1994. I was thinking about that fucking Pennywise meme. A clown. Go eat an ugly fat kid. Clown. Clown. <laughs> and he's like, I wasn't even <laughs> No tears for clown. Hello, Clown. Give me an ugly fat kid clown. And he's like, ah. oh, my, oh god. my god, that meme. If you guys have never me. seen that, you need to look for that. That shit is hysterical. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's time. I'm an hour um, late. So Gacy's brain was actually removed. As we mentioned, possibly there being any damage to his brain, it was actually given to Helen Morrison. She's a very <laughs> she's a very famous forensic uh, psychiatrist. Um, she actually personally interviewed over 80 serial killers and wrote a book called My Life Among the Serial Killers Inside the Minds of the World's Most Notorious Murders. Uh, She was actually a witness in the defense trial for Gacy. She testified that he was legally insane because he was unable to separate from his mother psychologically and never developed a separate identity. The jury rejected her insanity defense, and she ultimately became came into possession of his brain. She actually has a Christmas card from him, too. I remember her giving an interview where she read about a Christmas card that he had sent. <clears throat> You're like, I just can't breathe. Sorry, we had to pause it because she, Casper was dying, like we told you. She's sick. To, and I'm starting to pass away. Like, sorry, guys. <clears throat> She's got a little... <clears throat> uh, yeah, so Helen Morrison um, not only has a... She had a Christmas card, so... The story goes that she had actually moved, so she didn't even know how he came into possession of her address, but he was able to send her a Christmas card before he was executed, which I don't really know how to feel about that, honestly. Um, Merry Christmas! Right? Happy Christmas! Happy Christmas! Merry Christmas! Chrysler! Merry Chrysler! (laughs) So out of the identified victims, only 27 of Gacy's victims were identified. By the time of his trial, 22 were identified. In 1980, two further bodies unearthed from the crawl space were identified through dental records, and those were the bodies of Kenneth Parker and Michael Marino. (coughs) The ninth victim observed, observed, whatever, in 1986 was Timothy Jack McCoy. Further victim was identified in 2011, through DNA testing, that was William Bundy. Uh, he apparently worked for Gacy right before his murder in 1976. <clears throat> Shortly after his arrest, his family had contacted Bundy's dentist in the hope of submitting his dental records for comparison with the unidentified bodies. However, those records had been destroyed after the dentist was retired. So to have to wait, I feel so terrible, terrible for these people that had to wait years after these murders. I'm going to go from like 1977 till 2017, 2011 to finally hear through DNA testing that the, you know, that they, the bodies were identified. A second victim was identified through DNA testing in 2017. That was 16-year-old James Hackinson that had gone missing in 1976. So in total, um, 
there were six victims that still remain unidentified. Uh, five of those were buried in the crawl space, and one of those was the body that was buried in the barbecue pit. So that was the one that, that was unidentified. Um, the skulls have been used for facial reconstructions. Um, those pictures were actually released in 2018. That was body 10 and body 13. The facial reconstruction pictures were released. Um, so quickly, I just wanted to name the victims because I know that when we do these podcasts, I don't like to focus a lot on the killer, even though we do. We obviously want to go into the history, the makings and whatnot, because again, like we've mentioned before, we don't want to just necessarily say that every single person that's a serial killer or murderer is evil. <clears throat> there's always a story behind it. It's never to excuse what they did, but there's always a story behind it. There's either a very fucked up childhood, a molestation, something happens that precipitates these murders. Um, but quickly, I'll name the victims. Timothy McCoy, John Budovich, Daryl Sampson, Randall Reffitt, Samuel Stapleton, Michael Bonin, William Carroll, James Hackinson, Rick Johnston, Kenneth Parker, Michael Marino, William Bundy, Gregory Godsick, John Sizzik, John Prestige, Matthew Bauman, Robert Gilroy, John Mowry, Russell Nelson, Robert Lynch, Tommy Bowling, David Talsma, William Kindred, Timothy O'Rourke, Frank Landigan, James Mazzara, and Robert Peast. And then, of course, there were six uh, bodies <clears throat> that remain unidentified. Um, all of our condolences to any families of the victims that are obviously still living. And uh, apparently there's still additional possible victims. Um, it was claimed that he may have murdered up to 45. Uh, he didn't a even 24 know. 24-year-old <clears throat> that was drowned in a river in Illinois in 1977, that it was an employee of PDM contractors that they were never never able to trace back to Gacy. Um, and then also we'll go into the potential accomplices. So there were, I'm trying to find the names of the detectives. Oh, I'm sorry. It was actually two lawyers in 2012. Two Chicago lawyers specifically named Stephen Becker and Robert Stevenson. They publicly stated after reviewing archived records related to Gacy's business travels for both PDM and PE systems that it is likely that Gacy may have assisted, may have been assisted by one or more accomplices in a minimum of three murders. In each case, they state that official documents attest to the fact that Gacy was in another state at the time the youths in question disappeared. In the case of 18-year-old Robert Gilroy, Investigators found that on September 12, 1977, three days before his disappearance, Gacy had flown to Pittsburgh and did not return to Chicago until the day after he disappeared. Investigators also note that Robert Young, <clears throat> the traveling companion with whom victim Russell Nelson was visiting Chicago at the time of his disappearance in 1977, gave differing accounts of the youth's disappearance to both his family and investigators. To Nelson's family, he stated that Nelson failed to arrive at the bar. To investigators, Young claimed that he last saw Nelson standing among a crowd who had gathered outside of the bar when his attention was diverted. For a few moments, Nelson disappeared. 
Young is known to have filed a missing persons report with Chicago police before unsuccessfully requesting money from Nelson's parents to finance a search for him. When Nelson's brothers arrived in Chicago to search for him, Young offered both of them a job with Gacy's company. Young was never summoned to testify during Gacy's trial surrounding Nelson's disappearance. Um, there was also believed, I wanted to go back into him having connections with a, <clears throat> sorry that you're just literally listening to me, just, <clears throat> <laughs> I'm like over here, like fucking, I'm like, oh my God, what is happening? It's because it's getting late. And when it gets later in the evening, my entire of course, also, all of it's breaking up in my head now because it was just all in one spot. <clears throat> this is what I was looking for. I am so sorry, guys. I messed up on my notes and could not find it. Okay. It's good. They're all so, just listening to me go on about my just shit. Just <laughs> hacking and coughing and sniffling and snotting and everything. One of the, in an interview following his arrest, Gacy repeatedly claimed that he was not present in Chicago when 16 of the identified victims had disappeared. In one of the interviews, he stated at the time that four PDM employees were also considered suspects in the disappearances. Um... And they all had links to Gacy, Gacy stating that all of them had keys to his home. One of the employees was named Philip Pask, who had a known associate named John Norman. At the time, Norman operated a nationwide sex ring based out of Chicago. At least two of the victims believed to be murdered by Gacy, Kenneth Parker and Michael Marino, were known to have last been seen alive close to where Norman resided at the time of their disappearance, and Gacy is known to have been aware of Pass's connection to Norman. This led to the theory that Gacy was connected to this specific sex trafficking ring, which I think makes <clears throat> total, total sense, especially given the evidence that he was out of town during some of these murders. You know, if if there were even people, but like they said, he said 16 of them he wasn't involved in. The lawyers were able to trace it back to about three. I say give or take those lawyers were right about maybe three that other people were involved in. I think the rest of them were all him. At least over 20 of them were. At least, yeah. And especially Robert Peace, because they were able to trace that back to him through the receipt in his house. Right. Nice try. Right. So quickly, I just wanted to point out that there were a few movies made later about the um, murders. There was a movie called Dear Mr. Gacy that was released in 2010. It was actually based on a book called The Last Victim, written by a guy named Jason Moss, who had actually developed a um, relationship through correspondence with Gacy through letters and actually met Gacy on death row in 1994. There was a horror film named 8213 Gacy House that was based upon paranormal investigators spending a night in the former site of 8213 Summerdale Terrace, which we obviously know that couldn't be real because the house was torn down in 79. Um, that would be an interesting movie, though. There was a Actually, if you guys want to get a really interesting movie to watch, there was a movie released in 2003 called Gacy. Um, where it depicted Gacy's life after he moved into the house in... Uh, it was from 1972, from the first murder up until his arrest in 1978. There is, and that's the one where I told you there's this, there's this specific scene of him doing the handcuff trick. So yeah, there's the, and the guy that played Gacy looks a lot like him in that movie too. Um, another one I wanted to mention real quick, which was 
kind of strange when I read more into this. So there was a made-for-TV movie in 1992 that was released called To Catch a Killer, where the actor Brian Dennehy played Gacy. And if any of you guys remember Brian Dennehy, probably the most famous role a lot of you would know him as was he played um, in, uh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, Tommy Boy. He played Big Tom Cal. That. He played Big Tom Callahan. So I'm sure anybody that grew up in the '90s, he he's played in a million Cocoon. He's been in a million other things, but in that specific role, um, so again, he played him in 1992. He actually got a letter from Gacy stating that stating that uh, Gacy told him that he was one of his favorite actors, but that he doesn't understand why he was in this horrible movie that was a total sham. <laughs> Because it was something that Dennehy did not want to be connected with. He did not want to be connected to that movie. He did not want to be connected to Gacy. But he actually still, his, I'm sorry, he is not in possession of the letter. He gave it to his lawyer and Brian Dennehy's lawyer still has the letter to this day that Gacy wrote him after the movie came out. So I just thought that was interesting. I found that out. I didn't even, I knew of the movie Gacy that came out. And then I knew about the one that came out about the, based on the book. Uh, but I did not know about the 1992 one until I did this research and then kind of looked more into it and found out about Gacy writing him a letter before he was executed, which I don't know. I guess I would keep the letter, but I wouldn't keep it in my house. Right. I think he was smart to give it That's to his lawyer or like just sat in like a safe, de- safe deposit box and just like <laughs> keep it there. So... Girl, that I gotta is give you, you everything get... that anybody could ever need to know about John Wayne Gacy. This is our longest I podcast we've ever done. had. I'm proud of you. Thank let's you. let's clap for Becky. Thanks, guys. <clears throat> Me over here, like <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, you know our serial killer ones always run about two hours long. Well, it's all all of our favorite just... serial killer ones have been two hours long. I, I just there was just too much detail to go over with this there guy. Was. There was just so much like. You know, I didn't go into a lot of details, obviously, of the murders because you really didn't have to. I mean, him, Bundy, and Dahmer, once they kind of fell into what their murders were going to be, they were pretty much all the same. So you really yep. didn't have to go into a lot of detail. And like I said, I I specifically wanted to name the victims. I just, yep. I really wanted to. Because my condolences to them. They were horrific. These were young boys that did not deserve this. And... That's why I try to throw some humor in there, so I'm not completely fucked up. Let the bodies hit the Yeah, I'm sorry, that was, that was fucked up. <laughs> I actually <laughs> laughed. I'm sorry. We're uh, all going to hell. <laughs> we all float down here. <laughs> Is it bad when you read a guy named Henry... Br- Henry something that started with a B? I was like, Henry Bowers! Bowers. This is what I get for Bowman listening to Bowers, It right damn now. Damn it, anyway. You're listening to the it, the it book. I'm like, Henry Bowers. I hope you guys enjoyed. Yes. Here we are two hours later. Thanks for sitting and having some serial killer talk with us this evening. I know you guys like our true crime one. So like I said, if there was ever anything you needed to know about Gacy, you got it in a nutshell. Yeah. All right, guys. I'm not going to be able to sing, but a word That's from okay. our sponsor. Um, <laughs> calm, calm your body, body down. down. Ding. <laughs> I love you. My voice is like. Um, <laughs> guys, the apple cinnamon bath bombs are done. I have made them. Um, we're going to do a little test run, see how they come out. They smell absolutely heavenly. Do they and, smell um, abs, apple salute? Apple. Okay, that, 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 <laughs> never mind. It didn't work the way I wanted it to. 
Sounds they, like absolutely. Do they smell absolutely delicious? Um, so I decided I know I was going to wait till next week. Uh, but September twenty first is the first official day of fall. So that's when they will be available on the Etsy shop. It doesn't fucking feel like fall yet. I'm so sick of this goddamn so 90 degree weather. We need fall weather. So, uh, but yeah, in three days, they will be available on the Etsy shop. Um, yeah, everything else, guys, free shipping. Use DFWTO shipping code for... Free shipping on everything. You see your BD20 for 20% off everything. And uh, again, pumpkin spice bath bombs are still up there. The body creams, the regular bath bombs, and the apple cinnamon bath bombs will be available in three days on the 21st. I will be making all kinds of posts to the gram. Boys and girls of every age. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Calm your body down. Because I can't sing right now. Um, okay, so guys, next week, <clears throat> to end our clown-themed month, we will be talking about, do, because of, we usually do places, sorry, my brain's like, <laughs> <laughs> we are ending on the Clown Motel. Yeah. I actually wouldn't mind staying there, no. but I know Becky would not do no. that. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's a room full of nightmares, no. for sure. Um, Guys, and it's next, look, it's in the middle of nowhere, Nevada. <laughs> it's a clown motel, and it's next to a fucking cemetery. No. It'd be fine. No. So, um. If anybody would like to go to Casper, email us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you want to go with me, send me an email. Um, but, uh, so next uh, month, we are going to have, we get five episodes in october yay exciting yay um october 16th we're gonna do a listener episode so we want you guys to pick what you want so what we're gonna do is i am going to set up <clears throat> excuse me a um post where i'm just gonna have you guys throw out ideas and whatever gets the most we will do now if they're all single ideas and none of them match. Clearly, we're going to discuss, you know, what we should do. And then we'll probably do a poll is what, how we're going to do it. Um, but we kind of want you guys to just pull it out of nowhere. Pull out of nowhere. Tell us what you want to hear. Could be movies. Could be a true crime that we haven't done yet. Literally anything that you want that's horror related. Um, so I will set up a post for that. And then... Um, kind of get your guys' ideas in the next couple weeks and then have a couple weeks to kind of narrow it down to what we're going to do. Yeah, so we, we wanted... need at least a week. If you guys yeah. can give, us, give us at least We would need at least a, a week, week in to, advance. to research. But, um, and also, please make sure you go back through... Please make sure you go back through our other podcasts and don't send us anything that we've already talked about. Yes, because if you if you expect us to remember, or if you what every want single episode was something don't like if you want another Warren episode, but you want different cases. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean that's that's something because we only did Amityville like, and, uh, and Annabelle. So if we if we did go over something, but you want more research into something else relating to the topic, we can do that. Um, but pull it out of your ass. Be like, you know, I would like if they talked about this. So uh, we wanted to let you guys know like a month in advance. That way you had plenty of time to kind of think of something. Um, yeah. And I'm down, you know, if, if people, if you pull obscure shit out of your hat, if you guys have it a can literally serial be killer that we've never heard of. Yeah. Aliens. Whatever. If there's a serial killer we've never heard of that you would want us to research. Um, 
a yeah. movie, a super obscure oh, yeah, movie. Really super obscure, like horror movie. Hell yeah. We'd love yes. to. That would be <laughs> So yeah, um, October 16th. So I'm going to make a post for that probably in the next couple days. You guys can start posting whatever you want. Um, also on my own Twitter at Freddy's Muse, I am doing a giveaway right now because I reached 5,000 followers. Thank you all for that. That is Yay! fucking awesome. So make sure to follow me, make sure to follow the podcast and retweet. So last but not least, our social media, <clears throat> Facebook, yes. Twitter, and Instagram. Make sure to follow us at Don't Fuck With The Original. Twitter handle is DFWTO8811. You can give us a subscribe or a follow on Podbean, CastBox, Podcast Player, Podcast Addicts, or Spotify. And if you have any questions or concerns, make sure to email us at DFWTO8493 at gmail.com. <laughs> I'm like, woo, I am getting there. So I think that's it. I think that we are done. everything. We woo. nailed this. In between <laughs> tongue twisters, badge, badge, hey, bodily badge, functions, badge. putrefied farts, <laughs> farts, snotting, and... <laughs> Thanks, guys. We did it. We, we did it. Yay. We talked about the serial killer. Yeah, we did it. We did it. We Have did you guys- it. We did it. <laughs> Some Dora the Explorer. Okay. Goodbye. We'll see you next week. Okay, bye. bye.